Welcome to Savvy Sab's podcast on call-in. This is episode 45, Ukraine letter revealed. A letter sent from Rokana's office from 2018 has been revealed. The letter has was a warning about the rise of Nazis in Poland and Ukraine. Yet every politician who signed that letter, well, that is a Democrat, I should add to that, is supporting Ukraine. They don't even mention that letter. What are your thoughts? I see we have a caller already in the queue. So I'm going to go ahead and bring in Zach. You are on the mic. Just have to unmute. Uh-oh. I think he tried to unmute and dropped off. It happens. Let's try it again. There we go. Hopefully one day Colin will fix that. There we go. Am I live? Uh, am I here? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Oh, I can hear you now. Uh, yeah, I I just wanted to call and say I really appreciate the work you do. Um, I I love RBN and you guys do a really great job. Um, that Jamal, I think it was Jamal Bowman. That clip really irritated me because he was talking about free speech as he was having um, his security or whoever was there drag the person from a venue. I, I don't see that as being, um, I, I really think that that is a flagrant, like a slap in the face to free speech. And I, I just wanted to call in and say that. Yeah, I think you have a point, Zach. Um, see, that was the only thing I will say about that video. I couldn't see what was happening to the speaker. So that is the one thing. That's why I didn't comment on that part because I, I wasn't sure if he got dragged out or not. Um, I did hear from other people that apparently Jamal Bowman did stick around and talk to him after that uh, discussion ended. So I, I don't know what he said to him. Um, I was going to actually try to DM Jose who got that video, but his DMs weren't open. So I wasn't able to DM him, unfortunately. And I, I couldn't find like an email or anything for him. Um, but I will say that, I mean, those are the kind of things that need to happen. Like when we do have like our representatives and they're holding like these meetings in our district, and not many of them do. I'll go ahead and tell you, like a lot of the politicians that have been in their positions for, I would say like 10 plus years, and they've gotten comfortable, they don't, a lot of times they're not having those town halls or those events, but um, newer politicians tend to still have them. And um, if you have the opportunity, you're able to attend those events. Like I said, usually they're free. Even Ayanna Presley's was free until the squad came here and did that weird tour that they did um if you can go definitely go because that's your chance to speak out like jose did and tell them like look this is not okay like you made promises to us you have not improved our community and i have friends that live in the bronx and they'll tell, tell you the same thing and people that live in jamal bowman's district and i know people that live in aoc's district and i've heard nothing but complaints from them so mm. i think that's your chance you know um now <laughs> It's just nobody should be dragged out for voicing their opinion. 
I can understand if he tried to like physically attack Jamal Bowman, which he didn't. Right, come up to him in a costume or something, but right. Just, I, I look, you did this thing, and I don't appreciate it because I'm, you know, w- one of your citizens. That's right. That's right. But see, Zach, you know what though? This is what happens when. <sighs> You have people that run on these policies that say they're going to fight for the working class. They get into office and they don't fight for the working class. And then they look uh, puzzled or shocked when their own constituents call them out on it. Oh, for sure. They're, they're, well, I mean, they get paid hundreds of thousands of dollars a year just being in that position. And then whatever back deals they do, they're comfortable. I, I, I um, love RBN because you guys preach more of a get in there, not violently or anything, but get in their face and be like, no, you serve us. So um, mm-hmm. I, I think we really, as uh, leftists, need to start from that position. I'm a big fan of a general strike mentality where the first the first priority, our first thought should be, no, we're, we're walking out or we're confronting you. So that they they have nowhere to go because we give them the votes and the power. That's right. That's right. Um, I think that I think that what what politicians have to understand is that none of them should be above accountability, regardless mm-hmm. if they were a part of the Bernie Sanders movement or not. Like we should be able to hold them accountable too. I, I mean, it's just like. What, just because you ran on these progressive issues, we're just supposed to sit back and not criticize you? Well, because you, you, we were part of that movement? Yes, for sure. And, you know, it It makes me, I'm, I'm disabled and, you know, I I supported Bernie Sanders because I need Medicare for all. I I am basically a prisoner. I, I, I sympathize with JB you know, we have similar conditions. So I see, I make $400 a month. I, mm-hmm. and I have to spend half of that money from social security on bills. So I don't get any money. And I don't know, I, I didn't mean to blurt out, but to see these politicians, it just, how, how do you expect your people not to be angrier and angrier and frankly, ready to do you know, Trumpian stuff when, when stuff like this goes down. Exactly. And you're speaking for the disabled community. And that's a community that I feel oftentimes is forgotten about or is left out. And I know I talk a lot about the workers, but this was something we brought up recently on RBN. It's like, listen, we need to also take into account like people who cannot work because they're disabled. You know, I mean, my mom is also uh, on disability. Uh, so I know how much her check is. If mm. my mom was single, like my mom would, my mom would not be able to live by herself. Like she would have to come live with me or something because like, it's like you said, $400 a month is not, that's not a lot to live off of. And, and, and especially if you have to pay for rent and, and, and all of those other things in between. So it's like, oftentimes I feel like people aren't talking about the disabled community and I think it's great that a lot of workers are organizing and starting unions, but where is the movement for the people who are disabled or the people who are, you know, chronically ill 
and cannot work, where's the movement to protect those people too? Like they need Medicare for all. And I agree with you. A lot of the people that I spoke with for Bernie Sanders campaign, a lot of the people supported Bernie Sanders because of that particular issue, even if they didn't agree with all the other ones. So here we are years later, there's still no Medicare for all. Obamacare was a joke. Uh, so the people are, are still being left out. And, and I, I got to give a shout out to JB, my comrade from RBN, because JB has done panels on RBN for the disabled community where people came on and they talked about all the financial things that they have to deal with. And people think that if someone's disabled, that they're just, oh, you're getting a check, you're fine. They don't realize yes. how small that check is. Yes, I, uh, well, I, th I think uh, we had a cool little discussion. I really appreciate you taking some time, Savvy. I'll uh, let everyone else uh, speak. And um, I just, if you uh, talk to JB, I don't, you know, not me personally, but the community has him in our hearts and um, we hope he's safe. Thank you so much, Zach. Thank you so much for that. All right. Um, we're going to bring in Dave here. Oh, I think Dave dropped off. I don't know what happened. This app is weird. We're going to bring in uh, Jay here. And, and I do want to say too, in reference to Jamal Bowman, I feel like Jamal Bowman is the weakest link. Like when you talk about members of the squad, I feel like he's the weakest member. Uh, let's go ahead and bring in Jay. Hey, Sabby, how are you? Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you great. Perfect. Uh, yeah, so I mean, I just wanted to take a minute to really just talk about the squad because, you know, a couple years ago in 2018 and in 2020, I spent a lot of time working on AOC's campaign uh, in the New York area. So not just her, but Ina Presley as well um, and some other candidates that didn't win their primary. And, you know, that, that, that entire time, like some of my gut instinct was, not every candidate, but a lot of them are just in it for the money, you know, like they're in it for the fame. They're in it because, you know, they want the attention, they want the grandiosity and everything that comes with that. Um, and so when it comes to like actually getting an office and having to actually deliver, um, they're like, it just seems like they're going to do what, what they can to like not rock the boat, just to keep their seat because they become career politicians at the end of the day. Um, I can tell you a story about like after we helped AOC win, um, immediately she started like firing some of her leftist staffers who helped her get into office and you know i had had conversations with workers on Ina presley's campaign who sort of reported the same thing they were just like they helped her get in office and then now they're just kind of they felt backstabbed because she um she just sort of ignored them after a while like she basically just used them um and that just shows you that like they just the way they viewed the, the way they view us you know um as like oh can i say yeah, really quick in reference to Ayanna Presley. Um, so I, I lived in her district when she ran in 2018. And for people who don't, who may not be aware, she did a complete 180. She's very different now. Like she was a, a city councilor. I don't know if everyone's aware of this, but Ayanna Presley was a city councilor in Boston. And she actually got more accomplished locally as a politician than she than she has being in Congress. And that's why I feel, and I, I go back to this, I know this is a separate discussion, but sometimes I look back on it and I feel like justice Democrats actually should have started on the local level first. You build up the local 
uh, politicians first, then you move on to the House, then you move on to the presidency. See, I think people like Ayanna Presley would have been better off if she ran for mayor uh, of Boston. I think people like Cori Bush would have been better off if she was a local politician so she can actually really help people in Ferguson in a better way. Them going into Congress, they've kind of forgotten about their constituents and their, their community. Um, all of them, at least in the beginning, all of them voted for to, to send this funding, this money to Ukraine. Uh, where was the pushback as, as the progressive, someone coming from the left, where was the pushback from the left? You know, it just, it's, it's ridiculous. A lot of it, I think, just comes down to the fact that they're too scared to be labeled as uh, Russian assets or whatever fucking smear tactic that they're going to throw on them. You know, whatever lab bullshit label they're going to throw. Um, and I think that just drives a lot of their decisions. Um, and a lot of times I made excuses for them. I remember up until like 2020 and beyond even a little bit like guys, just like, you know, people were criticizing them. And I'm like, guys, just, you know. Behind the scenes, they have a lot of pressure. Like uh, at the end of the day, they are humans. Um, so I, I made like a lot of bullshit excuses for them, but I don't. I don't think they deserve any of it. Um, while it's while it is true that they that they do have pressures, like this is I think safe to say less than what we asked for, like much less than what we expected. And that's, you know, that's yeah, and like I'll just wrap it up with this. Just uh, you know. Like, these guys do change over time. Like, uh, people who still defend them to this day seem to think that they're the same person um, that they used to be before they ran for office. AOC, you know, she does have her, her um, sketchy history as being, like, a senator, uh, an intern for Ted Kennedy and some other shit in her past that I can't remember right now. But she was a working-class person. Like, uh, you know, she lived very modestly. She grew up sort of poor. Um and so she does have that background, but once you get in there, you sort of forget where you came from, uh, unfortunately. And, you know, just to remind everybody, Kirsten Cinema was a Green Party anti-war activist back in the early mm -hmm. 2000s. Sorry? No, I'm agreeing with you. Mm -hmm. And she, when she switched over to the, Green, the Democratic Party, she changed. Oh, yeah. Probably like one of the worst Democrats now, you know? And Nancy Pelosi, I think, was a single parent advocate back in the 90s. Um, so, I mean, these guys do change over time, and it's just, uh, and I think it's only worse here on out. I, I, like, as good as they are right now, they're only going to get worse. Yeah, one thing I want to add, though, about AOC in reference to her growing up, like, working class, per se, not exactly. Uh, her dad was was the president of the architect firm that he worked at. She grew up in a house in the suburbs outside of New York City, so they may have started in the Bronx, and then they moved over to, and particularly, and this has come from her as well after she won, they particularly sought out a district that had the good the good schools, which a lot of people do, right? Yeah, so so that that is important, I think, for people to understand. Like you don't you don't just get to go to BU uh just because you're smart. BU seeks out certain schools and certain zip codes. And I know that because I worked in admissions at BU. So in reference to New York City in particular, I know the schools and the zip codes that they target. So if she would have still been in the Bronx in high school, which she wasn't, there's a particular school that they recruit from in the Bronx, and that's the math, um, the math and science uh, academy. Uh, they they'll heavily recruit from that one, and those kids have to test into that school. There are kids that they live in the Bronx, but they they basically score really high on the math and science level. Um, and there's actually a guy, he's a professor at BU, Raul uh, uh, Fernandez. 
He's close with AOC. He's a professor there. He also he went to the Bronx uh, Math and Science Academy, and he's now running for office. So I know where BU recruits from. That's why when people told me, oh, she grew up in the Bronx and da, 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 I was like, really? What school does she go to? Because I know where they, they recruit from. So I think that story with her, and if you talk to people that worked with Justice Democrats, like Zineb has talked about this often, Zineb pointed out that she was the one that was writing the the bios for the JD candidates. And Zineb pointed out that AOC herself said, oh, just say I, I was a bartender because that sounds better. There was so oh, much wow. other things okay. like, oh yeah, like she had a startup, like she she did internships like abroad. Like she wasn't just like someone who graduated from BU was like, okay, I'm gonna be a bartender now. Like that was just something on the side. Like she had money. And I think that's what people really need to understand. Yeah, I mean, I know her brother. He's a stockbroker now. So, like, it's, mm-hmm. it's yeah. Just, and uh, one thing that just reminds me, um, there were some candidates that I remember just, uh, working for my time uh, in electoral politics. They would start off by pumping $70,000, $80,000, dollars of their own money to jumpstart their campaign. And they would try to run as a leftist. So... You know, and that itself is a red flag. I mean, maybe, you know, you get once in a while an occasional class trader who's a rich guy who wants to literally make people uh, people's lives better. But the fact that it's happening a little too much is is itself a red flag, you know, that they're not who they say they are, you know. Exactly. Because if you're spending $70,000 to run the campaign of your own money, you either have a lot of it or, uh, you know, once you're way too, you know, once you've invested way too much, it, you'll literally do anything so you don't feel like you lost that money. And that includes like uh, capitulating to the party establishment. So it's it just all corrupt and comes string, uh, uh, strings tied, strings attached. That's right. The the candidate who actually, you know, grew up poor and actually knew what that plight was like, Paula Jean Swearingen, mm-hmm. was that was the candidate that Justice Democrats didn't put as much energy and, and publicity into. Uh, she was the one actually living that life and, and she still lives that life. Like if you talk to Paula Jean Swearingen, she'll tell you she's a coal miner's daughter. Like she's not, she's not saying or pretending to be something that she's not. Like she, she knows what that's like. She knows what it's like to be poor and she still has to live that life. So it's like, that's the person that really should have been the face for Justice Democrats. But they decided to put all their energy into AOC because it was easier for her to win her district. But look what we got. We ended up with Joe Manchin, and look how great that's been turning out for legislation. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Anyway, uh, that's all I really wanted to add. I think I'll uh, drop off here and let the others take a turn. Thank you for having me, Sabby. Thanks so much, Jay. All right, we're going to bring in Cryo. Cryo, I can only see uh, the first three letters. It might be a longer name, but what's your take on all of this? Like, the letter that was revealed... Um, and someone, I think someone brought it to my attention that Max Blumenthal did ask Rokana about this letter. So I'll have to reach out to Max and ask him what his response was. But go ahead. Hey, uh, you can hear me, right? Mm-hmm. Great. I'm on my uh, computer instead of the phone. So I'm glad this works a little better. Um, yeah, I think Max Blumenthal um, did do uh, a little discussion about the fact that they did sign a letter like this back in 2018. But, you know, it's more to me, like I said before about it's being optics, it's 
the kinder, gentler car wash that um, they were using Ukraine for to begin with. And it's not really a question of, um, you know, a concern over the, the concern was that they were being going to be associated with um, potential, um, you know, uh, enablers and um, actual perpetrators of of Holocaust within Ukraine and Poland and you know every, you know all over that 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 countryside. So, um, what do we do to prevent that kind of optic from happening? We we kind of you know let's let's all sign a letter together to make sure that everyone knows where we kind of stand right guys all right let go team so they got that covered you know it's it you know and i remember back then in 2018 when or even before then when you know some one things were popping up about poland and and its involvement in um you know the holocaust and how the current government was trying to deny it and all that and i think we all got to remember some things about what happened and Fear, um, you know, this is very fear-driven. If you don't do this, then you're going to be right in that chamber with the rest of them. So, you know, we have to remember that, um, you know, people are suffering and they're put in positions that they don't want to be put in over there, and that continues today to this very day. And they're going to, you know, you want to call them collaborators, you want to call them whatever you want. It's fear-based, and um, you know, so we have to remember that not everyone who is Ukrainian and coming from West Ukraine wanted this. You know, some people were born there. Some people ended up there because they were fleeing from, you know, both sides of the, of the uh, you know, because they just stood out. Uh, they, you know, <laughs> they stood out as people who were, um, you know, potential um uh, either potential um, spies or potential, um, you know, potential, they fit a profile that would put them in danger of, of you know, the Nazi regime. So it's, it's, it's never cut dry, cut and dry. There's always gray. Um, and we have to remember that there's people like this currently feeling this pressure in, in the Ukraine today. And you know, I just hope that, um, <laughs> I don't think that Rokana or, um, it, it upsets me because I don't think Rokana or Jamal Bowman or anyone in the squad really thinks about that. They don't think about the consequences of people's actions and historically or today. They don't think about, they just think about what's it going to do for us? What's it going to be like for us here? Are we going to keep our position? Are we going to get our um, pension plan? Are we going to, you know, keep my, am I going to keep my Tesla? Am I going to, you know, where am I going to be in historically in all this? And they don't care about the consequences of other people's, um, you know, what, what people are up against. Um, on the ground between all of this and it's really pathetic it's disgusting and you know originally i think i you know in 2018 i think a lot of us 
maybe, I, I don't know, maybe we thought, I remember, I don't really remember the letter, but, you know, when people t used to talk out about, about all this, it was seemed a little bit more than sentiment, because, you know, you're talking about historical events and, uh, but it, it's not, it's never, it's never really like that. When it comes from people like Rokana, when it comes from people that are paid off by Silicon Valley to um, stick to the script, uh, it's never, it's never real. They're, these politicians are not your friend. They can spin any kind of line that they want for you. And you just got to remember that it's, I don't even think that, that it's like nothing. It, it almost seems like it, it's like water off a duck's back that it just rolls off. You know, they don't care about the consequences. They don't care. It's only them. <laughs> Do you get what I'm saying? <laughs> That's a good point. I, and you know, to that point, um, they don't care about the consequences because they know that you would think that they would, because if your constituents are upset, then they may not vote for you for reelection, right? But people ask like, well, then how do they continue to win? How do they keep winning? Because they paint the Republican party as the, the worst evil. And as long as you have that to point to, then your constituents kind of feel like, well, we have no choice but to vote for them again. Um, I think all of those people should be primary challenged. All of them. Rokana, uh, uh, who else? Oh, AOC. Like all, I think all those people should be uh, primary challenged. And I have no problem saying this to them. I think they all need to go, period. And I think they should be challenged by someone from the left that is running as an independent or running as a third party candidate. And I think it can be done. And I think that they need to see a real threat. They really do. They, they need to see somebody pull votes uh, away from them. And I think that as long as they can point to the Republican party as the worst evil, that's how they'll continue to win. Yeah, I, I really, you know, I don't really share my, I don't share any kind of positivity with um, getting into this system, even as an independent, because who's going to have your back? Um, I feel like there's bigger um, fish that we have to fry first than a elected office. It's the unelected that we have to take care of, um, you know, and, and how do you do that? <laughs> uh, you know, how many people are going, you know, how many people are running independent or a real workers party are going to have to step up to the plate. It's going to have to be a big, a big movement that I don't think that this country is up for. I just, I just think that there's a lot of apathy. There's a lot of, um, I'm too busy for this. I got my own problems. You know, I'm guilty of that. Sometimes there's a lot of us that, that are, because it's about survival at this point. And where do we go from here if we're not going to really think about the, you know, what has happened to our quote unquote elected um, government? There's people that have been in that government for 20, 30, 40 years that really <laughs> run the show. And right. if you're not concentrating on that, and if you're not working with people who want to also get rid of that really for real and not just painted as um, a personality saying that on another YouTube channel. I, I think that we're just going to end up with a lot of people that are assassinated. Um, 
our backs to the wall. You know, the only the only hope for us, like you said, I think earlier today, is mutual aid. Mutual aid, really banding together, um, and maybe that will teach us what we need to know and what to do uh, once we 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 begin to trust each other and know who we are really. Um, whether or not we develop a workers party, I think that there needs to be a return of trust of your neighbor. And until we can take those steps as a as a country, as a society, um, like sort of um, divorced from what our quote unquote elected officials tell us to do, then we're just going to continue to open, um, you know, turn on TMZ and just say, oh, yeah, I really enjoyed what um ellen had to say i don't even know if she's still on <laughs> i mean or the view is just totally they get me you know like it's just gonna be like that and and people need to really just instead of looking at their tvs they need to look at their neighbor and uh, yeah so that's how i feel about it i just i i, I wish elected officials could be a little more responsible and accountable but i just i don't i think it's getting further and further from from that point right now all good points thank you so much uh cryo thank i'm gonna, <laughs> gonna bring in karthik um it's always been really interesting to me too you guys because sometimes I, I sit back and i wonder who watches the view because like i asked mom about this i'm like mom do you um you watch the view and she was like no, those women are ridiculous. Oh <laughs> uh, no, I, I think they got their pulse on the heart of America. You know, Joy Behar, Whoopi Goldberg, and Meghan McCain. You know, for before, you know, they're they're all, I don't know, fifty or hundred millionaires. You know, I think they <laughs> got their hands on the pulse of America. Like, I think like the only good, like, decent woman on the View was like actually a right winger. She she was a libertarian, and I only say this. I I, I say this because like I used to watch TYT and they covered the View nonstop, but. They have this like libertarian woman on once, and she seemed like kind of like not a nar super narcissist. So that was the only reason why they're like. But anyway, who cares about the view? Like I said, they're not worth loving or hating. Um, but so Sabrina, quickly talking about uh, just uh, just Democrats uh, with Jay, and I, I know you said, hey, Justice Democrats should have focused on local races, maybe. And I actually hundred percent agree, but I know this because I was a TYT member for a long time. Um, the reason why Jenk and Kyle didn't really focus on just, I mean, the local, who the founders, is because I know Jenk for sure thought local politics, like, he, and he's always thought this was like a waste of time. And the point of justice, and Kyle thought something similar too. And the point of justice Democrats was to remember to get as many Bernie Sanders types into a federal office, you know? So if your only goal is to get like 100, 300 uh, Bernie Sanders, then local state politics are, are a, a huge waste of time. Hmm. You know, it's, it's too bad there wasn't, um, I think in this country, we have a tendency to focus a lot on national politics, right? But where are things really getting done for the people? Local level. I'm actually going to talk about this tomorrow night. I was um, informed about what just happened in Louisville, Kentucky, in reference to housing. They accomplished this on the local level, uh, affordable housing people help the homeless community. Um, so I, that's a story I'll be covering tomorrow, but, um, yeah, that's great. I think that's unfortunate. It's like, sounds like a great story. I can't wait to watch. 
Yeah, I think that um, and, and I do I do want people to understand. I I do realize that I do live in a ballot initiative state, but I didn't always live in a ballot initiative state. I lived in North Carolina. I lived in South Carolina. I lived in Georgia. I lived in Virginia. I've lived. Look, I lived in a lot of places, <laughs> just to make it short. I lived in New York. Like, so I do know what it's like to live in states that don't have ballot initiatives, but I've I've still seen, even in those states, more being done on the local level when it comes to electoral politics to actually help people than on the national level. And one of the things I, I, I want to point to, and like, we were on bad, I forgot to mention this tonight, but... RBN, like me, C, CJ, and Nick were on Bad oh, yeah, Faith, so that video it. dropped. Yeah, that video dropped today. And one of the things that I mentioned is that some of the policies that Bernie Sanders had on his platform, um, uh, what is it? Oh, um, paid family leave, for example. Some of those policies we've already implemented on the state level. So Fight for 15, when people are like, we need the Fight for $15 minimum wage, we implemented that in Massachusetts years ago, guys. So it, it was it's crazy to me when I sit here and I, I see people like, we need to finally vote on a $15 minimum wage when that vote happened, that vote took place and everybody was making fun of Kirsten Cinema with her stupid little thumb down dance that she did. That was crazy to me to see eight Democrat politicians, I actually think one is independent, but caucus with the Dems, to see them vote against it. I'm like, you fucking kidding me? We passed on, this in Sabrina. Massachusetts years ago. It, incremental years change, ago. one step at a time. <laughs> I'm like, we passed this years ago. Uh, paid family leave. That was implemented last year in Massachusetts. Uh, Legalizing uh, marijuana. That was implemented a couple years ago in Massachusetts. And we have like cannabis facilities just every other, I feel like every other month, I hear about a new one that's going to be opening in the state. So it's very profitable uh, here. They're just popping up all over the place. So if you live here, it's like to you, it's baffling that we haven't passed these things on a national level and we've done it on the state level years ago. So even Bernie Sanders, like policies that he was running on, that was already late like for uh, to us for us and and that's another thing where some people were kind of like voters in massachusetts some of them were like yeah i like bernie sanders platform but we got that here so it's just like except for the health care we don't have that we don't have um universal health care for everybody but that's something that's looking to be a ballot initiative for us but it's it's absurd so on the local level some of these things can be done. I'm telling you guys, what, we sat there and we watched, what was a couple months ago? Kansas, which which is usually, or technically a red state, they implemented laws to protect abortion. You see how it changes when you do it on the state level instead of waiting for someone, the, the politicians in D.C. to do yeah, it? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And sorry my, if I sound my, fired my, up. My, my name is not Jenky you, you 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 don't have to lecture me about the. <laughs> um, but anyway, so speaking about Ukraine, the title of your video, um, yeah, I remember uh, uh, Rokana like telling people, "Hey, you know, Ukraine's corrupt. There's lots of Nazis there and stuff." Even though people pretend that's not true anymore, and that's Putin talking point. Um, but so I think the reason why Rokana is just and everybody else, you know, the Justice Democrats are all, you know, pro-war nonstop now 
least for Rokana's sake, because like he knows that it it uh, uh, benefits him to you know be in the good grace of establishment, you know, and not be Ralph Nader or not be squashed. Like even Madison Cawthorn, all he did was say that hey, the Republicans are having you know um, orgies or whatever, or politicians are both parties, and then he got you know crushed, you know. So he he, he like so he he knows if he crushes like sorry crosses the establishment then. It's not going to be good for his, and it's so obvious that he wants to wants to run for president, you know. So yeah. he's just doing whatever he can to for his career. I agree, um, and that'll probably be he probably won't run in twenty twenty four, but he yeah, probably eventually. won't run in um, twenty twenty eight. Probably, yeah. I, I think. Um, look. I give him kudos for being willing to come on independent media and have these discussions because nobody else yeah, for is sure. willing yeah, to he's do He's like that. the only one that has any balls. Like AOC, yeah. Cory Bush, Ilhan Omar. Um, yeah, I, 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 Ayanna Presley as well, as you mentioned. Um, yeah, they're, they're not going to go on. Um, but so all I want the last thing is, as Bernie Sanders pretty much ran to be Joe Biden's campaign manager last time in 2020, uh, I'm pretty sure that if uh, Ro Connor runs, he'll, you know, because he'll do the same thing, you know, because he doesn't want to be destroyed when he runs for president in those debates or whatever. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's, like, running to be Pete uh, Buttigieg's campaign manager or Kamala Harris's. It's, um, yeah, I just don't like, I don't like this narrative that they're all spinning about Ukraine, how they're pretending like there's no nazis either there's no nazis there or there's very few to the point that we don't need to be concerned and there you go you have that letter from 2018 which clearly shows that there was a need for concern and it was a problem and the fact that they're just pretending like we should just ignore this and say it's not a problem that's that's frustrating to me because all it would take is for just one of them to speak out against it and say no the nazi thing is a problem because then mainstream media would have to change their talking point. You guys see how this works? You, They follow, mainstream media follows the talking points of the State Department. So if you have at least one of them stand up and say, no, uh, the Nazi you know, issue in Ukraine is a problem. We do need to recognize that. Then CNN, MSNBC and them, they would have to change their talking points and then more of the American public will be informed. But if they don't do that, they're not going to be informed. And I think that's the reason why, going back to the censorship thing that we talked about earlier with Russell Brand, that's the reason why they're suppressing us on YouTube because they don't want people to hear the truth. Well, I think it's actually because like the military industrial complex has gotten like, I don't know how many billion now, 80, 60, 80 billion, whatever they've gotten. I think now like some people are actually are being honest. Like I think Chris Hayes even said that, hey, maybe we shouldn't be funding this war anymore. It's enough's enough. I think it was Chris Hayes or somebody on Twitter that said something like that. Emoji dude said that. Is that Chris Hayes' nickname, Emoji dude? That's what I. That's the nickname I gave him because he looks oh, like I an emoji. Know. Oh well, I don't know. This Chris Hayes has many problems. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah, and I, I know Kyle Klinsky also said that. Hey, we shouldn't be funding them anymore. So, you know, I I, I think now because like you know. It's it's kind of like getting to the rack work kind of, you know, where it's like, how long can we keep pushing these lies? I don't think we should have funded them in the first place. You, you fund oh, the American people first. Oh, yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> well, it's funny because like most of that money probably uh, didn't even leave America. 
it just went to you know Boeing and you know Northrop Grumman stuff. So so that money is in America somewhere. It's just in yachts and mansions and you know in D.C. or L.A., New York, Bay Area, San Francisco. I agree. Hamptons. That's another good point that you you pointed out. How much of that actually just went to weapon uh, manufacturers, right? Weapon contractors instead of actually going to to them. I'm just like. Look, man, and you know what killed me is that Zelensky had the nerve to ask for more money and tell Joe Biden, like, this is actually not enough. We need more. Dude, take two seats. <laughs> yeah, you know, may, maybe he'll ask for nukes eventually. <laughs> I'm just like, you ungrateful. You're really ungrateful here. This is ridiculous. Um, but yeah, Karthik, I want to get to some of the other callers, but thank you so much yeah, for calling in. Great call. Thanks. Love talking to you. Thanks so much. All right. We're going to bring in Lewis. Hello. Hello, Hello, Miss Abby. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. By the way, um, the gentleman who was talking about student loans today, was his name Alan Collingy? Alan Collinge? Yeah, Alan Collinge. Okay, great. Thank you. Yeah, that he was very informative and I'm glad he was able to share what he had to say. He said a lot of good things. I want to thank you for bringing him on. Um, but I wanted to talk about this Ukraine business and this letter you're, um, you have on for the call-in right now. I Go have, for it. Yeah. Okay. So let's hear it. Let's, let's, let's deal with the obvious first. So the obvious thing we could say is that it's hypocrisy. And we could talk about how that is and why that is. And, you know, it's a very easy, easy thing to do these days is to, you know, identify your politician of choice and call them a hypocrite. You know, uh, that's why I want to kind of dispense with it, because I really think what's more interesting is to get into some of the historical details of what's going on here. So let's let's put let's put ourselves in the way back machine to 2018. And what's the month? of the year that that letter was published. Was it July? Did I see July when you put it up on the screen in YouTube? It was April, 2018. Oh, great, even better. So it's April, 2018. Do we all know what happened in May of 2018? In case you forgot, Donald Trump moved the US embassy to Jerusalem. So I don't, yes. So let's think about this. Let's think about Donald Trump's administration for a moment, as painful as that is. <laughs> so while Donald Trump, uh, you know, was serving his first year being accused of being a Russian puppet and all this nonsense, um, he was very, very, very popular in Israel. Very popular. He has, a, if you go back into newspaper articles at the time, you can find that Donald Trump had a 70% approval rating in Israel in his first couple of years in office. Now, you have to ask yourself the question, why? <laughs> I would assume that before he made a dramatic move to move the embassy, the U.S. embassy to Jerusalem, that there were other people who had been talking about that before he just up and decided to do it. You might even speculate that there was a plan to do that. You might even speculate that putting Donald Trump into office to the chagrin and surprise of Hillary Clinton and her voters uh, knew of the plan. I don't want to sit here and engage in conspiracy theories that center on Jews because of the sordid and awful history that that has. But I think that's the point here. 
which is to say that when we're talking about politics at the level of international politics and the relationship to domestic politics in the United States, we have to understand that a lot of it is organized. And a lot of it is organized in ways that we can't see. And when we talk about dark money, well, where does that dark money come from? Is it international dark money? Is it used for international purposes? We don't know. So there's a lot of shenanigans that are going on in the backgrounds of things. And what tells me that what tells me something about this letter is the fact that it coincides with the move to Jerusalem. Now, why? Because if Donald Trump had 70% approval ratings in Israel, which has an effect on voters in the United States for all kinds of reasons. We could talk about Christian Zionism. We could talk about the APAC lobby. We could talk about Jewish American voters. We could break that down in a lot of different ways. But the thing we have to focus on is that when Donald Trump makes that move, all the people in Congress are thinking what is going to be their response. You know, my, my congressman here in Long Beach, Alan Lonethal, his office has to say, oh no, Donald Trump is gonna do this. What are we gonna do and say? So right there, that tells me that this letter might have been a strategy to get ahead of Donald Trump's move. So let's call attention to the neo-Nazi problem in Ukraine and let's do it in such a way that emphasizes we're concerned about other things too than Donald Trump's embrace of Israeli identity and Jewish American politics, which from Donald Trump's point of view, he probably thought he had sewn up at that point in time by his move. This was one of his big foreign policy moves at the time. So when I look at that letter, I kind of think back to what Cryo had just said earlier about optics. It allows the politicians who sign their name to make their position clear in an issue when the issue of Jewish American and Jewish and Israeli identity was immediately on the table the next month. So you have to ask yourself, am I being cynical? Am I being racist? Am I making things up? Well, I don't have any direct evidence for my claims, so in some sense I'm speculating, but I just want to emphasize something. You know. It's painful to talk about in the United States, and we're not allowed to do so much. But there is a lot of points to be made about the fact that the Holocaust, as historical memory, not the historical fact of its occurrence, but as a matter of memory, is an industry. And I just put a link in the chat room about that. There's a scholar, a political scientist, his name is Normal Finkelstein. And you can find his um, videos on YouTube. And you can see him as a scholar talking about the pain of the exploitation of Jewish memory surrounding the Holocaust through the capitalist appropriation of that memory and marketing it and politicizing it for different purposes, such as Donald Trump moving embassy to Jerusalem. So the thing about all this is Ukraine is embedded in that. I mean, we can talk about neo-Nazis. We don't have to just focus on Ukraine. There are neo-Nazis in Poland. There are neo-Nazis in Germany. There are neo-Nazis in Italy. There are neo-Nazis in Russia. There are neo-Nazis in England. There are neo-Nazis in America. They're everywhere. Okay, so let's not you know, just focus on the neo-Nazi in Ukraine issue. The distinction that Ukraine has is that the neo-Nazis were mobilized in an eight-year war 
after a US-sponsored coup in Ukraine to put in a government with a Jewish president to prosecute a war against the ethnic Russian minority in the eastern part of Ukraine for eight years. And so what's really going on is the connection, the nexus between neo-Nazi activity that can be found all over NATO's stand and its linkage to a direct military conflict against a perceived U.S. adversary of Russia. And that's why these politicians who signed their name to this letter in 2018 will not own their signatures, because they accept and embrace the policy of NATO stands war against Russia. And they're willing to go all the way to nuclear war over that stand. And who are the people that are tragically caught up in all that? Jews and the exploitation of their memory. Not just domestically in Ukraine with the neo-Nazi militarized forces there, but also all the politicians who are now writing letters and four years later completely disguising the fact they had anything to do with it. It's part of that industry and the way that that kind of memory is produced and exploited. So I just wanted to point to that as not necessarily an answer, but as a, I think, appropriate historical context to understanding what is the significance of that letter and the time it was made, and also why four years later it's suddenly being disavowed and forgotten. So I'm done preaching. <laughs> Thanks. Holy crap, Lewis. That was amazing. Like you really just broke that down. I didn't think about that. I didn't think about, I was so focused on the year 2018. I didn't think about what else was going on at that time. So you really did break that down and it all makes perfect sense now. Unfortunately. Yeah. Right. And, and the thing about it is it's, it's not going to stop. It's not going to stop. I mean, I could go into other questions about, let's say Poland. I mean, the way that the UK has been exploiting Poland during this whole crisis, I mean, it's just not just only disgusting, it's completely racist. I mean, if you look at the way Poland is dealing with the war in Ukraine, not only are they one of the biggest supporters of NATO in the prosecution of the war, okay, but they are also fighting the whole effort for uh, preventing any kind of immigration to Poland, Eastern Europe, anywhere in Europe. They're one of the central points of that. Uh, but allowing as many Ukrainian refugees into the country as possible. And we saw at, back in February and March of this year how there was an explicit appeal to whiteness in that whole controversy about letting Ukrainian immigrants into Poland and other European nations while excluding Afghan immigrants and recently, immigrants who are coming um, from African nations through Russia and trying to get into Europe. There's this whole game. That's yeah. I mean, and also, I just wanted to add, and also they were allowing uh, Ukrainian immigrants to attend historically black colleges here in the United States for free. And we, we covered that over at RBN. A, a lot of people didn't report about that. But it's just like, I'm sorry, but we, we don't even get to... Like, do Americans, do we get to go to college here for free? We don't even get to go here for free unless we got a scholarship. I mean, what about the war in Ethiopia right now, which the U.S. is involved in? That's displacing all kinds of people. Uh, I, I, last time I checked, I, I didn't think students who are coming from Ethiopia are able to attend American colleges and universities for free. 
That's right. That's right. Oh my God. No, you're so right. It's yes, all ma'am. connected to NATO. It's white supremacism. That's why this whole neo-Nazi thing, it's this. It's a similar phenomenon as saying, oh, look at Maloney. She's a neo-fascist and so forth. It's like, oh, okay, right. sure. I mean, we can focus on that, but what are we distracting from while you're calling something like that out? So I don't want to, I don't want to take up the time. Right. I feel like I could go on and on and on, but I just wanted to make the point about the connections about history and how things are strategically sometimes of their moment. And when the circumstances change, people's strategies can flip and you can call them out for being hypocrites, but you have to understand what is the hypocrisy about? What are the reasons for the choices they're making in the context in which they're making them? So thank you for letting me talk. I appreciate that. Freaking awesome guys. Let's give Lewis a round of applause. Good grief. He really broke that down. That was amazing. Spot on. See, this is what I like when people like really like dive deep and say, okay, what is this really about though? Like looking at the big picture, we're going to bring in Lance. You are on the mic. Just have to unmute. Hello. How are you doing, Savvy? Hey Lance, how are you? Hello. How you doing? Good, good, good. Always great to hear your sweet voice. You know, you're just very, you're very positive, even when it's negative topics, you know, you just, you just, you just have a positivity about you. I try to have that too, you know, but yeah, I'm good. Hope you're good too. Um, so kind of a related theme, I guess, Rokana and the squad, all those guys, politicians, right? I'd love to get your response to this, but Politicians will only, everybody knows, do things when they're forced to. And FDR took it seriously. FDR really went for it to the extent that we could expect to partition one of the richest dudes in the country. You know, he didn't do everything. Left out a lot of folks that were people of color, et cetera, that he maybe could have gotten through even though the politics was not in his favor. Okay. They're not going to be pushed by the elite. I remember, as I might probably mentioned this before, as teenagers in 10th grade, very, 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 like 98% white suburbia. It was a, a lot of Jewish kids. I was uh, Italian, but it was first generation suburbia. We got a hold of Mao's little red book. One of the things he said in, in the book, rebels without a cause. We didn't do anything with it. It was just fun. He said the elites, the 10%, basically, we would call it, always have to eventually embrace revolution. It could start from the proletariat. It could start from the petty bourgeoisie. It could start with academics. Uh, but it's eventually it's going to have to be embraced by the elite for it to take hold. We had that. Now, uh, another theory of mine, right? I think the radicalization of the 50s, whether it's the Montgomery bus boycott and Hell's Angels, God, the guy just died that started it. Um, you know, they were pr- pretty right wing, but they were radical, whatever you want to say. They were against the establishment from their right wing point of view, whatever. And a lot of things that came to fruition in the 60s when it was kind of popular to be, you know, uh, anti-everything. It was much more radical as far as I'm concerned in the 50s. And you could even look at like older brothers, not just generational, that went to college, that were the elites, and all of a sudden World War II, a little 10 years later, baby boomers, early years, and then we expected to be able to go to college. And then, of course, they put the kibosh on that. My point is that Nixon called himself a conservative at a time when you did have, you had liberal Republicans, especially in the Northeast at the time. And he passed a lot of progressive legislation. Everybody knows that now. Wow. Did he get religion? No. Here it is. Here's the point. 
he was forced to by the elite, by the 10%, the ones that came up in Berkeley, who maybe even not their parents, but their older brothers and sisters were like the tied down where the frat, the frat Greek kind of mentality was the predominant thing instead of now the 60s anti-war and all that. Well, the elite wanted this stuff. They wanted clean air. They wanted clean water. They embraced the uh, progressive causes of LBJ and all that stuff. We don't have that now. We got third generation suburbanites. We're more segregated racially and class-wise than we've ever been, than we were in the 60s. And these people, they're clueless, I'm sorry to say. They're third, like I said, it's not just, I was first generation. Everybody's parents, and they had some conservatives. There was racists out where I lived. I mean, it wasn't like we were all perfect progressives. But we were all first generation suburbanites. Everybody's parents came from Philadelphia or uh, suburban Philly or from New York City or from Brooklyn. They got out of the city. They came to the suburbs of Philly. So there was still that that connection to the city. Now we have young people, the people that are now the ten percent. They're clueless. Even that they don't they don't even have any connection or 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 they didn't touch elbows. And I've mentioned this before. I went to school and grammar school with the richest kids in the city, and it didn't matter. We just played baseball. It didn't matter who sneakers. I got better presents. I've said you know at their parties that I did at my own. And but now none of those like two generations, three generations later, they all went to private school. So even if they went and a lot of these kids did, they got, they got, they worked in daddy's business that I went to school with. They their parents were pretty wealthy, upper middle class, not super uber rich, but that's all gone now. We don't have that connection. The people that are coming up that are the elites now, the 10%, they're just clueless. They've had that comfortable life. They don't even, they're not even aware other than what they see on YouTube or TV of even having rubbed elbows with anybody in a lesser class than them. So anyway, there's my, my spiel. I think those are good points, Lance. Um, you know, I always like to bring up like the class issue and, and how that divides a lot of us. Um, and, and I'm in a similar boat with you. Uh, I, I've, I've gone to school with pretty kids from pretty wealthy families, um, as well as kids from middle-class families. Um, and, and when I was in school in, in Baltimore for a short period of time, I went to school with kids from very, very poor families, very, very poor homes. And so I've, I've seen all different sides and yeah, there is a difference. I I can tell you, uh, people that have money are very comfortable and you may find a few that are willing to risk that comfort to help fight for people who are working class and people who are poor, but it's very few. Most of them, especially once you get to that level, most of them don't wanna lose that comfort. Most of them are, are, are not willing to, they may care about the issues and they may have concern about it, but most of them are not willing to risk having that comfortable lifestyle to fight for you. And yeah, so, but that's how it is. Yeah, but but again, people used to, and, and I think the difference is that even these rich kids that I went to school with, you know, there wasn't much of a difference in sixth grade. But I, you know, I knew in the back of my mind, like, yeah, boy, their 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 daddy owns a big owns a business, and they're they're going to be set for life probably, and I'm going to have to struggle along as best I can. We were middle class, but they at least. I, you know, the, the elites then or whoever, I mean, it's like there was a connection a little bit to people, even though they were going to go on and be be separated from it later. It's just like it just seems like we've, we've just been so successfully dumbed down. I mean, I was I was you know a, a kid, 10, 11 years old, watching the Vietnam War on TV. 
And there's an interesting factoid, which is they didn't have instantaneous satellite feeds until 1968, that very year. In other words, Kennedy and these people, when they did speeches from Berlin, it had to sync up with the satellite. They could only do it like a couple times a day because you only had to have those three points had to connect up, whatever. We didn't have that many satellites, et cetera, et cetera. It was in 1968 that that technology enabled like battlefield, like pretty much live feeds were slightly delayed from Vietnam. And they're like, uh-oh. And it kind of caught the, uh, the, 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 you know, the, the rulers, the, the, the dark state, the deep state, caught them by surprise. And of course, since then, right. we've been completely shut out because they didn't, they didn't know it, it existed. And it wasn't some big cloak and dagger thing. It was like NBC or whoever said, oh, gee, great technology. Let's do live feeds from Vietnam. So they just did it. But then they said, like, no, we can't have that. Now they won't even let you see coffins, let alone live battlefield. Now we don't even see the coffin. K through 12 at secondary school has been dumbed down. Yep. Doctors, doctors have been trained down. Lawyers. It's not just people that are accountants and bean counters. Okay. The sciences, all these science magazines that we know are all fixed. The whole thing's a mafia racket now. And so things are just so far gone, not to be a downer, but it's going to take pitchforks to people in the streets because the elites aren't going to back us up anymore. We're going to have to go right to the jugular and we're going to have to all do it all ourselves, the working class people and poor folks. And, and you know, getting together, I keep telling people, like farming, right? Sustainable farming. Well, who are you going to work with? Liberals? Not that many liberals live on farms that I know of. Sure, there's some. But even the really cool farmers that you read about, they tend to be conservative. So it's like, yeah, yep. I want to do farming. I want to do all these. We think that's so great, right? Like well, you've talked about it, you know, community garden. What are you going to do with it? Yeah, in the city, it's great. But that's why I'm trying to bring city kids out to the country, country kids in the city. Let's get these people together on something that isn't political. And I've got Trump people that are backing me out of it, but okay, I'm not here to tout my own horn here. But, you know, it's like, how are you going to say, yeah, sustainable farming? We've got to get rid of CFOs. Well, you better be ready to work with conservatives because that's who all the farm people are. You know, and this whole concept now that they divide and conquer us, you know? Right. I'm Okay, so Lance, I'm so glad that you brought up that point in reference to farming, because when people say you can't work, we shouldn't work with people on the right, because then that makes you part of a red-brown alliance. By the way, I think that's bullshit. Um, In reference to things like climate change, which is something that a lot of us who are on the left care a lot about, right? We care deeply about climate change. Guess who the farmers are? Most of the farmers are not leftists. Most of the farmers are not liberals. Most Hello. of the farmers in this country are conservatives. So when you want to talk about climate change, when we would talk about the food shortage problem that we're going to have in this country that we have now, which is going to be worse mm-hmm. at some point. Guess who you're going to have to work with? Nobody brings this up. Thank you so much for, for mentioning that, Lance, because this is really important. Mm-hmm. Like people need to mention that. Yeah. And, and it's like, I, I don't care how much pushback I get. Every time I talk, wow, MAGA, tinfoil, oh, right-wingers. It's okay to kind of sort of work with them on issue by issue, but oh, yeah. it's like, screw you. You got your head up your butt. And if you don't realize it, that it's the end. You just, you can't, it's like they killed Fred Hampton for doing that, specifically for working with, you know, <laughs> Former, you corrected me actually. One of the first shows. No, he did not work with neo Nazis. He worked with former. You, you had better disavow it. But that's what that's why they killed him for the exact thing that you get all this pushback down when you say you want to work with conservatives. That's literally why Fred Hampton got assassinated. And these people want to say Fred Hampton, Marxist Leninist. They don't know the first thing about it. They're about as they're about as far left as Bernie Sanders, who, by the way, with his pro war stances and everything, like 
people much smarter than me, like Chris Hedges and Chomsky say, he'd be in a center right, if not far right party. Because they all got universal everything, so that's nothing. They already got that, so that's nothing that Bernie's offering. And he'd be pro-NATO, and he'd be pro-war, so he'd be a far, he'd be a center right, if not right wing guy. I have to finish with this. I'm sorry. George Carlin, I saw him in concert once. He's my favorite comedian. And he's like, you know what? Screw the environment. Global warming was a thing by the time he passed. The sooner humans are extinct, the better off it'll be for the planet. You know, that's why his takes are so great. Because he's like, he cuts right beyond the bullshit, the politics. and says, screw it. Let's all leave. Let the whales and the, everybody else breathe clean air once we leave. Make us all exterminate. My other point is this. I'm a populist. And it doesn't mean that people should be given the power. It means people have it. Like Chris Hedges said, revolutions don't end with bloody rev- – or, you know, revolutions don't end with civil wars that are bloody. They end when 500,000, half a million people surround the Capitol for two weeks straight. And he gave specific examples of that. So as a populist, I have to say, look in the mirror, folks. If we got a bunch of puke and vomit for politicians on the left that aren't doing what we want because we got them there. We wanted endless – you know, uh, low taxes, we'll go for credit, you know, and build whatever it is we drew, and it, it, we, we got who we chose. Now, I'm not going to be a hypocrite and say I, I have sympathy for Trump voters who don't get it, and we've been dumbed down and all that, but eventually, we got to just look at ourselves like Pogo said, I've, I've seen the enemy, and it is us. So we got to start just telling each other and shaping each other up. And I try to do that the best I can. And I get banned and, 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 and shouted down in every column group I'm on. But I'll, I'll keep plugging away because I'm not, I'm not having this like intellectual mental masturbation with his Marx and Lenin, you know, this claptrap crap, you know. But who are you going to talk to on calling? It's going to be all upper middle class educated people. So it's like, you know, guys, get off the, get off the freaking uh, social media and get down into the streets and the, and the fields in the city and country. Right. I hear you. I hear you, Lance. Thank you so much for calling in. I'm going to bring in Dave. Dave, you are on the mic. Just have to hit that unmute button. There you go. Hey, Tabby. Hello, how are you? Hey, I'm good. I'm good. Sorry, I was less, a little bit less uh, interactive than I wanted to be in the last uh, couple times I called in, but it's good, it's good to be back uh, here with you. I, I appreciate your show so much, what you're doing. Uh, amazing. The hosting, the level of hosting is so, so high. So, so much appreciation here. Oh, thank you. That's really sweet. Yeah, so I, I, I mean, if I'm on the mic, I mean, I, I was looking at the probably the area where I have the most knowledge, probably the specific leaving domestic or looking at the question you put above the uh, the foreign. I was a history major in college, and I've read. You know, I try to follow along with these things, sort of like Max and Aaron and the other guys do. You know, I speak Spanish. I, I, you know, I've, I've covered some of this. I've written articles on some of that, some of the foreign affairs stuff. But yeah, I mean, it's crazy that the letter, you know, the, the you know, Rokana is. Well, I mean, what Louis said earlier, it, it's you know, the the Congress people, they, you know, some of them they pretend to be concerned about, uh, you know, humanitarian violations abroad but they they channel it into something that works with their selfish 
with their selfish promote, promoting issues and what is not going to be offensive to the to the money powers here in the United States. Yeah. I mean, um, money pretty much controls all of it and money talks. And I, I feel like they just really don't want to rock that boat, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, I hear that. Am I too, am I too loud on the mic? I was too loud one time. Uh, I think you're fine. Hello? Yeah, I think you're fine. I can hear you just fine. Uh-oh, I think we... Like, I can hear Dave... Hey, Tabby, I can't hear you on my side, but... Oh, that's weird. Can you guys hear me? I wasn't talking for just then. Let me, um, okay, you guys can hear me. Let me make him a speaker. Maybe that is the problem. Um, we'll see what happens there. Okay, Dave, you're a speaker. Can you hear uh, me? Okay? You know, thanks for bringing me back in. I was, I was, uh, I was underwater for a minute. There. Yeah, I can hear you. Hey, Sabby, thanks for bringing me back in. I think I was, you lost my mic for a minute there. We can hear you just. We can hear you just fine. I think you can't hear us. Uh, yeah. So let let me just talk. I can't hear uh, Sabby if he responded at all, but I'll talk. I mean, I could say a few things about the situation abroad. It's, I mean, we're, we're it's, it's unfortunately it's absolute disaster. I mean, the federal government doesn't even have control barely over the military right now. I mean, the, the way the laws have changed. So the military is in complete control of the federal government in some ways. Uh, you know, even the president is not, can't be commander in chief the way, and, and that's collapsing also. Like Wall Street is, they haven't collapsed yet, but they are, the amount of poverty is so high that, that there's collapse in that now. So we're at a serious like 1970-like, <laughs> if you wanted to, all historical, all historical on it. Uh, situation right now. It's, it's a very, very dangerous situation right now. And the new recruits to the army are getting, they're getting the most crazy propaganda. I mean, they're getting the, op they're, get, they're learning the opposite of what's true about the situation they're about to go into and, and, and kill people and launch missiles. So yeah, it's, uh, it's not good. We're, we're going to have to do what Lance said about the 500,000 uh, around the Capitol. Like, Pretty soon. <laughs> All good points, Dave. All good points. Uh, can you hear me okay now? Yes, I can. Okay, yeah. All good points. I mean, this is this is just crazy to me, the fact that I, I wish more people would call this out. I was informed that Max Blumenthal did bring up this letter uh, to Rokana, um, but I wish more people that the next person that interviews him, please bring up this letter about why did he sign this letter comes from his office you know it'd be cool if he, if Bree like if Bree would could uh, ask Bree like if, if Bree talks to Roe before you do again like Bree should bring it up with him that would be that'd be cool you know um or if he's talk to Roe again yeah because I don't I don't know if <laughs> after the last interview I don't know if Rokana would come back on my show <laughs> 
Yeah, I think you. I mean, I'm glad you and Nick go hard. I mean, you, you and Nick are really principled, so you go. You know, it's good that you go hard from a, you know from the streets. You know that you go hard on these people. That's that's good. Well, I yeah. feel like I don't owe, and none of us, by the way, I don't feel like none of us owe politicians our kindness. Like we don't have to be kind towards them. Uh, you can critique yeah, them yeah. and not. You can critique them without yelling at them, but we don't owe yeah. them our kindness. What have they done for us? That's for sure. That's for sure. I've seen that locally in Bo- you know in Boston too. I've seen, you know, it, it's not. It's not good. I mean, look at tax law in Massachusetts. Like, you know, Massachusetts legislature is as cruel to the poor as the Mississippi legislature is to the poor in Mississippi. There's no no difference between them on – sometimes the Massachusetts is worse. The Massachusetts polls are worse sometimes. So it's it's not a good situation. It's bad. But, I mean, on the level of money, we don't have – I mean, so many people have fallen into, um, you know, just food stamp rolls. I think we have, I think in mass it went up to, uh, the stat I heard was like 20% of, as of like six months ago, 20% of people in Massachusetts were getting food stamps. Maybe it might've been 25%. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think, you know, we definitely have like our problems here in Massachusetts. Number one is too freaking expensive, especially if you're in Eastern Massachusetts, which is where Boston is. Um, (laughs) But I will say like, we do have benefits here that other states don't, people in other states don't have because they haven't passed. That's true. They have workfare in other states. We don't have workfare yet. So they have freaking workfare in other states, you know, um, Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think this is why I really want people, I want you guys to mobilize in your states, mobilize on the local level, because you can get these things done. It, it Even if you're in a red state, okay, so people say, oh, well, it's only the blue states that are passing these policies. Florida, and I, and I do not consider Florida to be a swing state. I think Florida is a red state, based on what I've seen from the numbers. Florida passed $15 minimum wage. These things can be done, you guys, but you, you have to like, you you guys have to mobilize like the people. Look at the, the activists that I've brought on multiple times in Washington state that have mobilized to get uh, universal healthcare on the ballot. Look look at what That's they're doing. Sure. They've done really, well really well in Washington state with that, their state movement. It's mm-hmm. really advanced. Uh, the, the women that you interviewed, there and other and uh, you know that those, I'm really impressed with those people there. Yeah, yeah, I am too. I am too. Like, and for people who don't know, um, in the beginning, like when I first started like my show on YouTube, it was just interviews in the beginning, and then I started implementing news segments. But in the beginning, I started off interviewing people who were activists and people who were candidates, and. Whole Washington, they were one of the ones that came on earlier on when I found out what they were doing. And I found out from Twitter, like their posts on Twitter. I was like, holy crap, they're trying to do this. I was like, you guys have got to come on. So this is, they've been fighting for this for a long time, like working towards this to get this done. And I know we had, there are disagreements about national level and state level, and I totally get that. But what I am saying is this, 
even if you do not live in a ballot initiative state, you can still get things done through the state legislature. And I want to bring an example um, up that we've done this in Massachusetts that actually was not a ballot initiative. And people think that we voted on this and we didn't. And that's same-sex marriage. Same-sex marriage in Massachusetts was not on the ballot. It was not something that we voted on. It was, no, it was implemented because an activist organization, this goes back to the movement on the outside, an activist organization called GLAD, they actually fought back and sued the Superior Court in Massachusetts because the court would not grant marriage licenses to same-sex couples. I believe it was about seven same-sex couples that they refused to, to marry, basically grant those licenses to. So that activist organization got together and said, we're going to sue the superior court. They sued the court. So then the court was like, okay, wait a minute. We obviously don't want this to happen, continue to be a thing. We don't want this to keep, keep happening. So that court. I remember that. I remember, remember that. Like, yeah. yeah. So that court decided. I, I think it was gay, gay lesbian, and defender, something defenders. Glad. I mean, 2004 yeah. that superior that they forced it into superior court and made it. That's right. Law. That's right. Yeah. See what you can get done on the local level. So a lot of people like to, you know, they like to mention that Massachusetts was the first state to legalize same-sex marriage. Yeah, but we didn't vote on that. It, it just that was that's what that came from pressure from activists on the outside. That's what forced their hand, the politicians' hands in the superior court. And that's how you do it, you guys. That's why I always advocate for you need yeah, that pressure it. from the outside. It, yeah. Yeah. yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, you can like when you get a movement in the street, you can I mean you can do it through you can you can influence the judiciary or you can influence the legislature. I mean there's or you can influence the executive sometimes the executive, sometimes you can I mean so you, there's different levers of government, uh, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Dave, thank you so much for calling in. I'm going to go to the next caller, and I think that's bad cookies. Yeah, thank you, Sabby. Next time, I'll next time I'll I'll try to have more of a crackerjack uh, bit in, bit of information for your for your uh, listeners. Take care. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right, we are going to bring in. Bad Cookies, you are on the mic. Good evening, Savvy. Am I coming in all right? Uh, yeah, I can hear you. Excellent. All right. Uh, it's a real shame I have to follow all your previous uh, guests because uh, they had well-thought-out comments. Uh, but I got to follow that up with uh, brain-dead, open-ended questions. Are you ready? <laughs> go ahead. Here we go. All right. Uh the question you presented is, what are my thoughts on the letter that was being addressed with, uh, what's his name? Uh, the, the thing I wanted to ask is uh, the, the crowd there looked like they had no desire to hear out what Jose had to say. Uh, when, they were sh when, when you guys were showing how the, the front guests were just looking back at him all crazy-like, that, that, that's what triggered in my head was like these people are just looking at him thinking oh man this guy's out of his mind you know they, they weren't really perceiving his message well my question to you is do you think jose could have presented the his argument in a way that that audience could have had a better reception of his message not really um because from what i've seen from experience 
I've seen other town halls where it's been presented in, I would say a polite way, <laughs> where they're not yelling it out and they, it still wasn't perceived well. I'll give an example. Uh, Jim Clyburn had a town hall and some of you may know this. I used to live in South Carolina too. And the gentleman who spoke out and spoke against Jim Clyburn actually ended up running against him. Uh-oh, bad cookies dropped off. Bad cookies, where did you go? Oh, there he is. I'll make you a speaker, um, bad cookies. But Jim Clyburn actually, um, <laughs> he was just giving one of his usual town halls. The gentleman who spoke, who stood up to spoke to speak, and this was actually, it went viral on Twitter, and that's how I found out about it. Um, God, what's his name? Marcel? Marcel um, Dixon, he ran against him. He primary challenged him. And he stood up and he gave a speech and he didn't yell across the audience like um, Jose did. He stood up and he had uh, a notepad and he said he asked about reparations for African-Americans. And he also talked about the fact that Jim Clyburn's district is one of the poorest, actually the poorest district, I think, in South Carolina and how he's been in office all these years and nothing has improved for the people in the community, which is spot on, right? He was very professional about it and everything that he stated was a fact. And same thing, similar response. Most of the people in that audience were older people, respect for our elders, but that was the, that, that was the audience. He was probably the youngest person in there. And then they all just kind of turned around and like gave him the same kind of look that you saw the people give uh, in the Jamal Bowman video, as if I can't believe this person is speaking out against our representative. This is a generational issue. It's it's a problem. And, and I have to say this, like, we've talked about this before on RBN, that sometimes we feel like, like a lot of like our black elders, they just kind of feel like we should be happy with what we have because we at least have something and it's more than what they had in the 50s or the 60s. Nah, squash that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, great points, Abby. I mean, I totally agree with you. I see your point of view on that, and you're right. I agree with you. Um, the the second point I wanted to quickly touch on and and get off real quick because uh, it's almost midnight and you got a lot of guests still. But uh, uh, what I wanted to ask you was, uh, what do you think happened to Jose afterwards? Because it was real iffy the way they 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 worded the hey, stick around, we want to talk to you afterwards. Like, personally, I don't trust the military industrial complex. So if there was uh, someone there representing them and they told them, hey, or even Jamal Bowman might have even told them, hey, shut, shut the hell up. Don't talk about this. You know, it, it, it wouldn't it's, it's conspiratorial to say something like that. But I feel it's not unreasonable for them to be like, hey, uh, you might not want to bring this up for your own health. Do you believe that is something that might have happened to Jose, in your opinion? I don't know. I, I couldn't contact Jose, unfortunately. His his DMs were closed, so I couldn't DM him. Um, and I didn't see, I couldn't find a link that showed like an email address or another way to contact him. But I do know the tweet was posted after um, that town hall. From what I saw from the thread, it did say, like people did say that Jamal Bowman did stick around and talk to him after, but I don't know what was said. I don't know what came from that discussion. That's a good question. 
Yeah, because uh, that that when you brought that up on the show, that that also like brought up a red flag to me. Like, oh man, now they're either he silenced himself or someone else silenced him. They're like, hey, uh, we need to talk further. You know, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't trust our government very much when it comes to things like that because uh, the the MIC profit margin is not going to be messed with in this country. But thank you for listening, Sadie. Yeah, thanks so much, Bad Cookies. But see, this is where it would have been better for there to be a group with Jose. This is where it would have been better if there would have been other people in that district who also would have been at that town hall with them and they would have spoken up all together. Uh, I think that would have been even more powerful because now like the people in the audience, they just kind of looking back at him as like, who is this lone wolf person spouting these 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 claims how dare he go off on our representative how dare he go there and a lot of people think like that like you're not supposed to criticize the politicians that represent your district you're not supposed to say anything negative about them and they see it as like disrespectful uh i say screw that they're supposed to work for the people and represent the people and i can tell you right now if i went to a town hall here that iona presley did i would get the same reaction I would get the same reaction people if I stood up and I said, why did you do such and such and such and such? People like, don't talk like that to her. She's our representative. She's the only one in there fighting for us. And I'd be like, she not fighting for you though, boo. Don't you see that? Has your life improved? Has your community gotten better? No, you guys still getting evicted. What is she doing for you? Not a damn thing. Let me go ahead and bring in Saul. Hey, Savvy. Hello. Can you hear me? I can hear you just great. Oh, man. Bad cookies. I love that dude. Uh, Lewis killed it, by the way. He is amazing. He just broke it down. I was sitting here just taking notes like, wow. He just he just laid it out the way it is. And uh, I think it was the other one. What was the other guy? The older gentleman? Um, oh, I forgot his name. But he was awesome too. Amazing work. I I can't believe that so many people are so aware. Yeah, Lance, thank you so much. Where where is my boy too? He's on point. Um, dude, uh, where in uh Lance uh Lance and Il, uh cookies and Ilhanar, he's gonna follow me up soon. Ashura, so sorry, Ashura. We all comrades, we all follow you, we all love your stream. And my word is to this. When these politicians come into office, I mean, I, I I see all diversities now, like black, brown, Indian, Iranian. They are not from the homeland, by the way. Like, they're not from that, that struggle anymore. Like, when I see politicians like Barack Obama, yeah, he's black, amazing. He's awesome. I loved him. I thought he was going to be the thing, but he wasn't. And uh, Ro Khanna, another, he, I don't know if he's native Indian or... I don't know what he is. They all buy into this. I'm going to make it no matter what. I'm going to buy into this capitalist system and I'm going to make it. I think that's how I see politics in. What do you think? Mm hmm. Even the ones more, that say I need like, more than that. <laughs> well, even the ones that say in the beginning, like when they're running. Hey, I'm going to go in there and fight for you. And if that means that they try to push me out and they can just push me out, I'm not one that's going to be 
uh, swayed. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to be different. And they all end up changing. They all do How? it. Yeah, because that's the way the system is built. The system is built to like incorporate you in a way that you're going to give up your individuality to become that capitalist person. Right? Or I mean, I it's, it's, but see, this is the problem. This is why I keep telling people like, <sighs> when Crystal Ball had that conversation with Brianna Joy Gray and Crystal Ball said, she is focused on winning the presidency. What does that entail? Exactly. What are you going to have to do as a candidate to win the presidency? You are going to have to either move further to the right to be okay with the DNC, right? That that's Correct. your own. Yes. You're, you're running through the Democratic Party. Look at what they did to Bernie Sanders. Oh, right? Bernie, Bernie, Bernie already got his ticket sold. His ticket sold. Sorry, I'm drinking a yeah. little bit. You're, you're he already had. To... He already he already had his he already had his um. What, what his marching orders that's the word he had his marching orders get in get as many people into the democratic party so you can kill any third party voice that's right that's right guys remember i i interviewed chris hedges and jesse ventura and they both said uh, the same thing and they chris both hedges is always on point right both of them approached bernie sanders jesse ventura approached bernie sanders at the beginning of his two, 2016 uh, campaign. So it was the very beginning. He hadn't lost yet. And even yeah, then he sold. said, even then he said, if he lose, if he lost, he would be backing Hillary Clinton. Chris Hedges That's approached I... him after the 2016 campaign. What yes. did he say? No, I won't start a third party move. No, I'm going to be supporting the Democratic <laughs> Party. You're Bruh. so on point on that. Yeah, you're so on point on that. When I heard him say that, I was like, oh, that's it. We are going to see another failure. Another and, failure and, and another. Yeah. And Go he ahead. has the audacity. He has the audacity to mention, yeah, I haven't ruled out a run for 2024. No, you have exhausted all your lifelines. Okay. If this is a video game, you don't get another lifeline. You're done. It's the end of the game. There's no save option where you can save the game. You got to start all over from the beginning. If you want to play this game, which he is not going to do your lifelines are gone. You don't get a get out of jail free card. This is done. That is a hundred percent on point savvy. Um, they're running, they're, they're putting, they just, you know, like, like they said, they're testing the waters, by the way. The DNC is a, a sinking ship. The, the RNC is playing, is, they're playing them already. They're, I'm already seeing on Twitter, like, oh, RNC, like, look at this Biden, look at this person, look at that. I'm like, oh my God, you guys are both the same shit. Why are you? It's the same boat. You, we're on the SS Minnow, by the way. You know, Gilligan's Island. We're all fucking castaways. We're not even. We're not even pretending anymore to give a shit about the duopoly. And I, yep. I I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. So, it's like, why would yeah, Bernie Sanders even think about running in the same party that the same party that smeared him as being anti-Semitic and he's Jewish? Why would he want to run through that same part? Why would you do this again? Unless your goal is again to energize the young people 
to get them motivated again. And then when you lose, and he will lose because the DNC will make sure that he doesn't win, they can change the rules. Anytime they showed us this, they showed us in 2020, we can change the rules during the debates to kick people out. So then you just tell people, oh, just go vote for uh, the person I ran against, the corporate Democrat, or otherwise you're gonna get Trump. That is now Bernie Sanders' role. And if you think, anybody listening, if you think Bernie's role is actually to win, you are fooling yourself at this point. My sister Savvy, we are preaching to the choir, man. Because I've been seeing this forever. Since 2015, I didn't give a shit about politics. I'm a hacker, man. My work is to, you know, design stuff, you know, be cool, trying to make, make a paycheck, not try to be a criminal because that, you know, CIA and FBI is cracking up on that. So I'm going to keep it clean. I'm going to say, yes, my love, you are 100% correct. He's a sheep herder. So is Rokana. So is the squad. They put these beautiful, like, uh, faces of, of racial, you know, all this stuff, you know, just to glamorize the, the system that is broken. The system is broken, in, and it's because the people in the system are broken. No matter how, what color you are, you are going to be taken down because that money and that check and that silence is going to keep you happy. And that's how I see it. You know, when I see RBN and when I see Nick speak and, I, and I, you know, Rihanna Joy Gray, I love her, but she's still like, you know, in and out kind of, you know, in there. But she is supporting us. And that's amazing. I love that fact. But you, Nick, CJ, RBN, and JB, you are the light of this movement right now because we're being shut down everywhere. I I hear you. I mean, one thing I will say, like, you know, I've heard that criticism of Brie as well. One thing I will say is this. One thing to keep in mind, she was Bernie Sanders' press secretary. I hear that. And sometimes I wonder, like, what does that feel like? Like, you came from that. And, and look at how things have transpired, you know? So like, I, I, can't, I can't even imagine how that must feel to be a part of something that had a lot of hope that, I, I mean, we were all a part of the Bernie movement, but I'm just saying like that. Uh, I was one too. Yeah, I yeah, was that's, one. that's on a different level when you're the press secretary. So it's like to be a part of a movement that- but She had to eat, she had to eat the agenda. She had to eat it. Like she lived the agenda. She knew what the movement was. She knew what was in, at stake. And yet, like, you know, she came out and still supported us, the, the little people, which what I we call ourselves, the little people. She came out. She doesn't have to do none of that. And I give her props for that, by the way. Yeah, because I mean, like, I don't, I don't think that's easy. Like, because she could have not of like someone like Simone Sanders, right? We saw what Simone Sanders did. She was Bernie's- Oh my God, yeah, oh my God, yeah. (laughs) 2016, she was a part of Bernie's campaign. And then Simone was like, wait a minute, there might be more money on this Biden train and then I can, and Biden could possibly win and then I could become the permanent press secretary. And he won and he didn't even pick her for his press secretary. That's what happens when you sell out. He already punched his ticket. He was like, I'm writing this. I'm not even going to care about who's following me, who's who's taking care of me, who has actually spoken about me. He's, he already pu- punched that ticket. He was out. That's what I saw when Bernie Sanders, like when in 2020, like I was like, okay, 2015, yes, I was, I was still had hope. But then uh, uh, 2020 was like, yep, he punched that ticket. He's out. 
Yeah, man. I don't know. I feel like my dad tried to warn me. I, I should have just listened. I, I was really stubborn. My dad tried to tell me. He was like, they're not going to let Bernie Sanders win. He warned me. No, they're not going to let anybody in. No, but they're not going to let anybody in. The thing is that the duopoly, if we actually go do a Google search, the duopoly is set up that way. It's to keep away any third party to get any kind of presence. That's the whole thing of the duopoly. And I, I, I like I, when I hear like, um, I think it was Lance. He he is hardcore, like he's older than me and he holds it down. He understood the terms like I don't care who's blue or, or, or red. I care about what's going on with my with, with what's going on in our you know country. And, and, and we're losing so many things. We're losing food, by the way. We're losing not only food. We're, all, we're losing freedoms. We're losing journalism we're losing everything at what cost capitalism because in capitalism you have to shut down every descendant voice to keep that thing alive and as um i think as richard wolf that said he commends it because like wow how well have they done to keep up so strong for all these years but now here we are rbn sabby sabs and all these people speaking truth and we can't be we can't be held back. That's right. That's right. Saul, thank you so much for calling in. I'm gonna go to I thank see Ashura in the queue. All right, Ashura. My Canadian homie. You're on the mic. <laughs> By the way, I'm not Canadian. <laughs> oh, aren't you in Canada? Well, I live in Canada, but what people like to use they'll call me a Canadian. I'm like, yeah, not really. Oh, okay. Well, my homie in Canada. Okay. <laughs> uh, I didn't think the title of the video would have um your call would have changed because I I thought you were talking about uh, the uh the Joe Bo- Joe uh what's his name again uh, Jamal Showman thing. I thought you were going to talk about him, so you said it was the discussion tonight. So I saw the title. Yeah, change. it's 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 the same thing. It's the same thing. It's the Jamal Bowman um, uh, call-out video. But after that video, I showed a letter that uh, Rokana and a bunch of other congressmen had signed uh, in 2018 about their concern about Nazis growing in Ukraine. And so that was, like, basically to use the comparison to show like, like how now, like they're acting like, oh, it's only a small portion. It's not like a big deal when that was bullshit. They called it out years ago and they knew that it was a problem, but go ahead. But you have to remember um, who was president around 2018? Trump. Exactly. So you, you, you gotta be that, you gotta be that, that so-called progressive bitch over there. So you gotta pretend that you're progressive so we don't like Trump, and like Jimmy likes to say, they don't like Trump. So they gotta they gotta toot their horn and pretend as if they give a fuck about you. They don't. What what also happened in 2018? They talked about the Dreamers. Have you heard anything about the Dreamers? No, I think they're still dreaming. Yeah, <laughs> they're still dreaming. I'm like, I'm like, yo, where's that? Where's that? Uh, where's that package? You say you you really get the dreamers that that one one um that once and for all, like basically, we're gonna make them citizens and be done with it. I thought they were gonna do it like, okay, we're gonna take out all these dreamers right now. We're, we're gonna take them all in one fell swoop, and whoever comes after them, 
ship them back. So we're done with it. Like that's what that that the way, the way for them to basically shut up the Republicans because the Republicans don't want people coming in. So you just say just fix up with the Dreamers you have right now, and just anybody who tries to come in, squeeze in, ship them back home. And I'm pretty sure that was a compromise with the Republicans because the Republicans were like, yeah, okay, fine. If you don't want to take anybody else coming after the Dreamers, you want to take the ones that are here right now, give them citizenship. I'm pretty sure the Republicans were okay with it when Trump was around. They said, yeah, okay, just give it to them. But the Democrats never did shit about it. AOC never did shit about it. Like, they just sat on their asses. Even though they were a polling show that, yeah, we agreed with giving the Dreamers citizenship. You know what? There was something that Rome said recently on our RBN live stream Tuesday. Rome said it's easy to appear like a leftist when Trump is in office. But once Trump got out of office, you see just how left those so-called leftists really were. And I think Rome is right. Yeah, it's it's just so fucking it's just so fucking ridiculous that how Russiagate basically broke people's brains. And I'm not gonna pretend that I wasn't one of those people. Cause Jank Uger, when I was used to watch QIT, I always get hyped up with that tick 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 tick. He kept doing that shit. And I and I and I used to make fun of Jimmy. Back when I was that I wasn't that much of a Jimmy fan. I used to watch also secular not secular talk, uh, the majority report. And I used to make fun of Jimmy. Then I realized that every fucking thing that Jimmy was saying, his 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 basically talking points started to basically come true every time we talked about it. And basically, when you look at the majority report and TYT, none of the shit that they said came true. It's like that. It's it's like that thing uh, that Dave Chappelle joke when he talks about uh, juicy smoothie. <laughs> you ever saw that that that, that joke from <laughs> Juicy Smoothie? It's like none of these de- none of these none of these details made up. None, none of these details basically uh, added up because uh, because we all knew he was lying. Juicy, <laughs> juicy yeah, Smoothie. We knew that was a lie. We knew that was a lie, but we were supporting him with our silence. <laughs> So that is something to keep in mind, guys. When a lot of these progressive candidates ran, Trump was in office. So just keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. Would we have had that same type of push if Trump wasn't in office? So I think that's that's a that's a valid point. Like kids are still in cages. How come the yep. progressive uh, members of Congress aren't speaking out about the kids still being in cages? Where's AOC's tears at the kids in cages now? They're still there. Yep, it's like they just want an enemy. They just want to say, "Oh man, Republican bad, vote for us." But you're just as bad, if not worse, than the Republicans because you're a fucking liar. The Republicans will tell you straight to the fuck your fucking face who we are. Like the politicians, they'll tell you straight who we are to your fucking face. And the Democrats will basically hide basically who they are behind a fucking mask, which is a fucking smile. And people are like, oh my God, look at it, man. He, he's not like the bad Republicans. See, they, they listen to us. They love us. They'll, right. they'll, they'll, do, they'll, they'll do everything right, the Republicans. Go 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 over to that booth and vote a, Repu- vote a Democrat, even though you're voting a Republican. <laughs> I don't care if he's if the Republican is white or, or if he's moderate. It's a fucking Republican. And Barack Obama said it himself. Even the way Barack Obama tried to, he tried to suck off as much Republicans as he could to be their friend. And, and the Republicans looked down in the office like, man, bitch, get out of here. We don't care if you're half black. Exactly. And they treated him like trash. 
Yeah, they, they, they treat him like trash. And he was, yeah, and he was like, I can't remember the name of the politician who stood up and pointed at him and said, "You're a liar." Does everybody remember that? There was yeah, a, yeah, I remember that. that. That was like that was during like his uh, address. I, I don't know how you guys call it, like the thing where you have the during the time they basically all assemble. And then you see the president talk. Forgot what the, what what you guys call it, but one guy stood up and said, "Liar!" Straight to his face. State of the union. State of the union. Yes. And look, Ashura couldn't have been me. Okay, could not have been me because the way he just stood there and was just like so calm about it, I would have said something. I would have said, "You're being disrespectful. Like this is just ridiculous." And you can say it in a professional way, but I just felt like you didn't see that happen to anyone else. It's it's just the, the the amount of disrespect. And listen, I have a lot of criticism for Barack Obama, and I that's another example where I felt like you should have pushed back, Obama. How dare you stand there and let someone say you're a liar? Like no, push back. He was too busy trying to be a people pleaser. Let me just go along to get along. I want people to like me. And no, at some point, like you have to find your balls. Like, excuse my, my rhetoric there, but at some point, you have to find them. Uh, you don't have to apologize if you want to speak coarse language. <laughs> <laughs> you, don't have to have be, to you don't have to be PMC here. I don't think there are PMC people in here. <laughs> this is why I tell people, like, man, I, I don't care. I just cuss all the time. I feel like white people sometimes, they want to be they want to be professional. I'm like, man, you, you know you're screaming inside. Just let it out. Yeah, just like, don't let people, don't ever let somebody disrespect you like that. And that I mean, goes out to all of you listening. Don't ever let someone disrespect you like that, especially on a public platform in front of everyone in national television. Don't ever let that happen. Well, that's because Obama was never raised in the black community. Because if he was raised in the black community, he would have basically knew to stand up for himself. But he wasn't. And he tried to please he tried to please white people all his life. He tried to please the Republicans. Republicans didn't give a shit about him. Like Obama basically exposed himself by saying, "Well, all my policies that I've made so far, uh, well, people would basically if I if you go back to the days of Ronald Reagan or or whichever president, oh my 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 ideas would be called a moderate Republican." Basically admitting he's a Republican. Basically admitting also the party is, is basically a, a Republican party. And it's like as Jimmy says, you have two par- right wing parties. And like one or moderate one, whatever the fuck the Democrats think they are, the, the Republicans are basically not going to choose a Democrat unless the Republic not, not unless the Republican fucks up so bad that they have to vote for a Republican. Kind of like with Trump, Trump could have basically won the election with a fucking landslide. All he had to do was shut the fuck up. Because you remember when the <laughs> things happened with, with COVID? What was enemy number one? Uh, during the when COVID happened, it was wearing a mask. Once wearing a mask, once the vaccine came in, take a jab in your arm, and Trump lost. Now they they started saying, and they saw a lot of people dying. Then they started saying, okay, I guess wearing a mask is good now. But now the new enemy is the vaccine. It's basically taking the jab in your arm. But that's Trump's thing. Trump invented. Trump was the one that spearheaded that shit. So when they why why are people praising Joe Biden? It was Donald Trump who basically did that. Like it's like Jimmy likes to put that uh, the video where he basically shows up the hypocrisy of the Democrats, where 
um, Joe Biden and uh, Kamala Harris says, well, if Joe Biden, if, if Donald Trump's put a vaccine out there, I'm not going to take it. If, if, I'm not going to take it. Well, they, they all said it. And it's like ridiculous how when when, when basically they, it, it, it gets flips on its head and we see everybody's doing the same shit. That's it's right. just ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. As for uh, as for Jamal Showman, by the way, by the way, that was <laughs> you're the one who came up with that word. Uh, <clears throat> one time, I basically super chatted you that word. You thought I was drunk. <laughs> I told you I, did, I I don't drink. You thought I was hot. I said no. <laughs> I, I forgot who said this. I think it was Gene. He said, "Man, she came after you really hard with that with that with, with that response, saying yeah, I was drunk." I'm like, it's it's okay. <laughs> Jamal Showman, you guys. Yeah, because so sometimes, yeah, because sometimes when you talk and you and you basically just make up words and you're like saying, "Man, I can't talk tonight." <laughs> and sometimes I just pick them up and I just say, "You know what? I'm just gonna write them in the comments." Jamal Showman, because <laughs> that's what he is. He's a fucking showman. It's like when you call him out. You know, sometimes when you call people out and they have that smile, that 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 look, that, that that smile that look almost looks like an emoji with a fucking sweat coming down the, the, the one side of their face. That's Jamal. Show, that's Jamal Bowman. He, he he feels like that's he's that emoji right now when you call him out. The one with the fucking little sweat coming right on the side of his face. <laughs> <laughs> a shirt's lit tonight. <laughs> I mean, it's just like Nick, man. I can't stand this dude, and this dude's a teacher. He used to be a principal. Like, what the yes. fuck? But see, that's why he's so frustrating to me because I, mean, I worked in education. Jamal Bowman, to me, has been the weakest link. He's been the weakest link out of all the members of the squad. And you know what, Ashura, like, I feel the same way. I'm like, dude, you were an educator. Jamal Bowman was a principal. A principal. How can you be so weak? I mean, I would think, like, even if you want to make that money, that Ukraine cash shit, you want to basically get on your knees and fucking do some shit for Pelosi, you know, and, and the other people in, in Congress. I mean, education was your fucking thing. Why, why aren't you, why aren't you right. fighting for that more than fucking Ukraine? Right. What? Everybody has like their strength and their weakness, right? So Jamal Bowman comes from education. That should be like really his focus. Like, why don't you hone in on public school education in this country and try to write a bill or something about that? No, you know what Jamal Bowman's trying to write a bill about? He's trying to write a bill about hip hop. He wants to make a hip hop day. Listen, I love hip hop. What the fuck is what that? What the hell does that have to do with the needs of people in this country? Not a damn thing. That's how unserious Jamal Bowman is. Maybe you should maybe you should you should change that bill for hip hop day to maybe uh what what is it? Malcolm X day. Cuz everybody seems to fucking hate Malcolm X for some reason, but they love MLK. Even though it was two different paths, but the same result was the same. Malcolm X just didn't want to take the hits. He just tell people fight back. That's because of the education system, because the education curriculum in the history books, in the school system, Malcolm X is painted as the villain and MLK is painted as the hero. And it's been that way for decades. And my whole thing is that Jamal Bowman, instead of focusing on some type of hip hop legislation, why don't you focus on some type of legislation to help improve the curriculum of the public school system that you were a part of? But why is he fighting for Ukraine? I mean, I, I'm so, I was even surprised that he was 
fighting for Israel. Well, he was against Israel, but in reality, he took money from their lobbyists. That was when he was running against that guy. Uh, what was his name? Uh, Ingo. Not against yeah. Israel. So you basically went, you went from. A He's not against Israel. DSA members were actually trying to get rid of Jamal Bowman. They were trying no, to kick him I, out. He, the way the way I remember it, he ran on it. He ran like he was not against Israel. He like I remember he said that he is not for Israel at all. But then you realize he's taking money, he's taking packs from them. I'm like, man, like, what are you doing? Like, you, it's like I think Jimmy said this would be either you or BN. You went from a white Elliot angle to a black one. Honestly, like, seriously, Jamal Bowman, he, last year, I believe it was last year or earlier this year, DSA wanted to remove him from Democratic Socialists of America because he went to Israel and he had a meeting with Netanyahu. The fuck? I didn't know that. Yes. Yeah, they said that goes against what we are as Democratic Socialists of America. How come that's never reported like he went to Israel? Like, didn't anybody know we that? Reported it. We reported it. I reported it. RBM reported it. Other people did report it. Now, your large uh, independent left uh, media outlets may not have reported it, but I sure as hell reported that shit because when I saw that, I was like, oh, hell no. This goes against everything that you ran on. And behind the scenes, Jamal Bowman was taking trips to Israel. He was cozying up with Netanyahu. He was already in bed with the Israel Israeli state. That's why they wanted to kick him out of DSA. Uh, as corrupt as the Democrats are, I, I, I remember Kyle Kalinske used to say one thing, like the Democrats... Uh, they're so fucking stupid. Instead of basically, uh, basically pro- promoting the shit that they've done, even though they're fucking crumbs, they should basically just ran on them. Basically say, oh, we basically, uh, I don't know, what, 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 give me an example of some dumb shit they did. And in reality, it was just crumbs. Give, give me an example. Well, it's just like one thing I, I want people to understand, Netanyahu, as a black man, you going all the way to Israel to cozy up with Netanyahu. Netanyahu wanted to kick black people out of Israel because he said, no, they're going to tarnish the area. This is only for Israelis. He didn't want the black people there. And you going over there and kissing his ass. This is so disgusting. It's gross. Well, like uh, Yasmin said in the chat, they got Pago. So why don't you basically go out there and basically repeat you got Pago or some shit or some crummy shit you gave people? It's like, it's like the Democrats, they can't focus on the little crumbs that they gave you make sure they appear that they are fighting for the people. And they turn instead of doing that, they say, Oh no, wait, the, the Republicans are being mad and we're trying to be very nice to them. We're trying to we're trying to do uh bipartisanship. Like the, they don't give a shit about bipartisanship. If you're talking about people bipartisanship, like healthy American people, they don't give a fuck. If there's a people they wanna they wanna help, that's it's their constituent of rich donors. People who are in the same class as them, they don't give a fuck about the little guy, all right? They know this. I don't know what the fuck is wrong with these people. And I'm starting to think that maybe, maybe that, <clears throat> I mean, I, I'm, I'm over here. Like, I got an election. I got an election on Monday. 
for Justin Trudeau or somebody's in, in, in my area is getting uh there's an election there. I'm, I'm not fucking going. I'm not voting for any liberal or any NDP whatsoever because I don't trust them. Um, I don't trust the establishment at all because I've never I've been in Canada for like maybe 18 years and I've never voted ever because I don't trust these politicians. I don't trust them. And my parents are they're like, they're like calling me. Hey, did you go vote? I'm like, go vote for Trudeau. I'm like, why the fuck would I go vote for Trudeau? I don't like Trudeau. Trudeau's a fucking racist. Yeah. And my parents, my parents, especially my mom, like she's uh, very stubborn. She's very stubborn. She wants to say that they're they're right. I'm like, man, I'm talking about my stepdad. I'm like, yeah, just leave it alone. You know, you know, your mom is stubborn. And I feel like that most parents don't want to listen to your kids. Like they want to think that they're always right. But <laughs> you, just because the guy lets a couple of immigrants in doesn't mean he's pro-black. Do not know no, he black faced himself. Look at how he tried to seize. And look, you don't have to agree with the issue that the truckers in Canada were fighting against. Yeah. But that does not give him the right to freeze their bank accounts. Yeah, that was that that, that was fucked up. Like, I mean, the only I, I, could that happen in the United States if they tried to do that? You know what? If they let's say there was a truck protest and that was that not the successful one in Canada, but the, let's say they did one in the United States, could the America, could the government just come down and crack down and just shut shut their shut their shut their bank accounts down? And people I don't would, see would go, law. I I don't see a law in the U.S. that says that they couldn't. And this is why I'm going to tell you guys something. Listen, I will give you one quote from James Brown, and James Brown had a lot of issues. So I'm not applauding James Brown in any mean shape or form. Like James Brown was, was abusive and a little crazy. So I don't applaud him by any means necessary. But there is one quote that James Brown said that I 100% agree with. You always need to, he said, bury your money in the ground. Now, I'll take that and use that a little bit differently. My dad always suggests this. You should always have money on the side that is not in your bank account in the event that something weird happens for example it happened to me bank of america a couple years ago for whatever i don't know it was a technical error whatever you couldn't withdraw money from their atm you couldn't use your cards their cards and stuff bank of america basically was compromised because of target that target anybody who had used a Bank of America card at Target. So Bank of, of America basically locked down all their shit. So like, I couldn't use my card at like a retailer. I couldn't use my card at the ATM. You couldn't use it at all. So if you wanted to get cash, if you needed money, you had to go to the bank and get the money. Now here's the thing. There may come a time when even you can't go to the bank to get the money. If that happens, what are you going to do? What are you going oh, to do? Re- you should always <clears throat> have cash in hand, even if it's $500 or whatever you can have, stashed away somewhere in the event everything electronically shuts the fuck down and you can't use your ATM card, your debit card or whatever. You can't make an electronic payment. You need to always have, make sure you have cash on hand stashed away somewhere. So that is the one quote from James Brown that I will say, I think he had a point about that. Um, 
I don't know if my question basically was understood properly, but really what I wanted to say is because every time I watch your show and Jimmy's, um, he always talks about like basically that the American people fight for rights, like to basically do whatever they want. But when it comes to basically rights like this, like what happened with the truckers, I was wondering, like, just because people are so pro rights in this country, would they basically not do that and be so fucking afraid not to do it? Because Trudeau got everybody else um, in Canada basically to agree with that bullshit. And people were making like a, uh, they were getting mad because because they they kept hearing like fucking uh, horns in their sleep. I mean, just go buy something and put it in your ear, man, and you you, you just go to sleep or just knock yourself up with some alcohol or some or some fucking drugs or something. Yeah, I mean, I guess what I was trying to say is that the whole thing about what the banks did to the truckers uh, in Canada. Or what Trudeau did to the banks, basically. Still continuing. That could happen here too, guys. Okay. There, there's, I, there's, yeah, there's nothing. Maybe, there's a law in place that says that they can't do that. Okay, because I thought maybe like if Canada could do it, the United States would just refuse it because you no know, about rights and equal rights and all that shit that people like to say it's my right to do this. You can't you can't do anything about it, the Fifth Amendment, Fourth Amendment, all that bullshit. So I thought because of that. We don't have the same thing as you guys. So I thought with that, like the United States would probably be the inception, exception because the Republicans and Democrats make up together and basically shut it down. So I thought it might happen like that. At any point, especially someone like Joe Biden, as crazy as he is, at any point, yeah, well, Joe Biden say, all right, uh, we're, we're making sure all the banks just shut your stuff down for the people who are either protesting or people refuse to, they can do that. Okay. Um, uh, I'll just say two things before I go. Uh, Target's still a thing in your, in your country. Yeah. Oh, we, we had one. (laughs) We had one in Canada. Like I think I had maybe for a year or two and it shut down quick. Really? It shut down quick. It was like for two years, and then right after the, uh, the the pandemic happened, like they just shut down, and basically they moved all the way back to U- U.S. Um, as for uh, Joe Biden, I mean, I I don't know. You, you said you haven't watched like Game of Thrones or anything like that, or House of the Dragon. Uh, um, let me put it this way: Joe Biden, if there were if there was a character in House of the Dragon that Joe Biden looks like, he seems to me like Viserys Targaryen. That's who I see Joe Biden is. Viserys Targaryen, because he's breaking up right now. And Joe Biden's not even there. All right? <laughs> I see a couple of Jimmy videos that I have not seen for a while. Uh, Joe Biden doesn't remember anything from the title videos. He doesn't remember where he is. He doesn't remember which politician <laughs> which politician he is, uh, which politician is supposed to meet him up in somewhere in some day. He's like, this politician is dead. This politician is dead, and but he doesn't know that. He forgot that. It's like when Trump said that black guy, uh, <laughs> that black <laughs> Trump said that black abolitionist <laughs> was alive. You know, Joe Biden said recently. He said, "Where's uh, what was the woman's name? Is it Janet?" He said, where's somebody? And this woman died years ago. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like it's like similar to what Donald Trump said. 
Donald Trump said that one black abolitionist, like, uh, he saw him, like, he either saw him yesterday or he would have basically been here, and people were making fun of him. No, man, this guy's dead. Like, I don't think Donald Trump knew who the guy was. I don't think so. I, I remember that. I remember that. I was like, what? <laughs> I'm like, if that's not enough for Joe Biden's brain, is, like, how do you fucking know that this guy's brain is melting right in your fucking face? And you still want that guy. And yet you get you got the same thing as the Republicans did. They had like Ronald Reagan that was like brain fucking dead. And you got Joe Biden. The same thing. Everything Ronald Reagan is, Joe Biden is just as worse. So anyways, I'm going to hang up now and just like, uh, let other people come in. Awesome. Thanks so much, Ashura. Yeah. Always a fun time when Ashura calls in. Red, you are on the mic. Hey, Savvy Sab, what's the word? Hey, Brad. What's oh, going shit. On? It is like, it is super late. Wait, turn my phone. Hear me? Yeah. And I'm still out working. Man, I'm still out working. I'm probably going to wrap up for tonight. But um, I have to call in because I heard, I. I saw the Bad Faith episode, and it's just like, I'm kind of like backed up on a whole lot of politics shit because it's kind of getting a little crazy over here in Illinois for midterms, and I'm kind of like tuning out, but I love I loved the episode. I loved, all, I loved all of you guys there. It's just like, I personally felt like it was a real good representation for black people, especially for black leftists like myself and like the whole panel with you guys with Bree. Um, I mean, I mean, what, what I mean, what I was gonna say, you guys did your thing. It was flaw- it was kind of like a flawless episode for me. I'm pretty sure there's gonna be motherfuckers out there that's gonna like complain and hate and say all kinds of shit, but that's on them. But I loved it. Um, I'm curious because there was one point that I, there was one thing that I kind of was uh, noticing that I kind of wanted to like point out. I think like there is definitely like a lot of um, there's like a lot of this this debate between like this split between the left. And I guess the is the split like there's a lot of disagreements that comes from like, you know, people that are like breaking away from the Democratic Party versus like maybe I'm guessing like the head of like these Justice Democrats. And I, I don't know. I don't really know too much about like Justice Democrats. I just know like it got a lot of the like some of the original like leftists from like 2016 and stuff when they was going on the whole big Trump wave like Jank and Kyle and Crystal and all. So it's just so my thing is like if there's a disagreement if that split comes in and the only split is and the only split is okay we're either going to still play this inside game with the Democratic Party or we are going to just break away we just got to break away and start from scratch um do you think RBN and it's like would there if RBN would be leading like through that uh through that strategy would there be any other type of collaboration that you guys would like to do with like any other platforms out there that you feel could help with a more independent movement that's a good question red um we are open to talking to anybody um we have reached out to a lot of people i i I do want to make that clear for those who are listening you know even the people that we have criticism of we reached out to those people um, you know, we, we did, and I didn't know this was going to come up when we did the, the episode on bad faith, but 
you know, David Sirota did come up. So I, I had to point, make a point to point out that David Sirota was contacted. I did contact him. And this was before, this was before uh, I did that video uh, talking about why David Sirota had the and I had reached out to him. I sent the email. Like I said, it was very professional. I just said, I think there may be a misunderstanding that we want people to do nothing. And it's not that we don't want people to not do anything. We just have a different strategy in mind. Very professional. David Sirota got that email and he opened that email. And I know that because I use um, email campaign. So when you use email campaign, you see if they open the email, you see if they've clicked on any links. So I, I knew that he he opened it. And I, I think the thing is, is that, you know, on our end, we've reached out to those people. And some of them we've reached out multiple times. They're the ones who don't want to have the discussion. They're the ones who don't want to collaborate. They don't really want to collaborate with anyone who's further to the left of them. They're willing to bring on people who are right wing that they can debate. They're willing to bring on people who have the same, want to do the inside strategy like they do. But if you pay close attention, you notice you don't see them bring on people who are further to the left of them. They don't. And so my whole thing is, is like, and we've said this multiple times before on RBN, we are willing to have that discussion with anybody, whether it's Crystal, whether it's David Sirota, whether it's Sam Cedar, whatever, we're willing to have that discussion with anybody. They're not willing to have that discussion with us because they know that if they bring us onto their platform, their audience, it would not be well received. So then you have to ask who's, who's part of their audience. Like some of the audience members, like when Nick and I appeared on rising, like uh, the comments were actually really favorable towards us. And some people don't want that. Some people are afraid like, whoa, if our audience hears that they're telling people to leave the duopoly and do direct action and mutual aid and support third party independent candidates and create a working class movement outside of electoral politics, then that may shift some of our viewers to them. And our viewers may start to ask us, why aren't you guys trying to do any type of mutual aid? Why aren't you guys coming to these direct action events? So I think for me, the really telling moment was when we had the marches last year in this country for Medicare for all in over 50 cities across this country, it was really telling to me the ones who were willing to promote that action and the ones who were not willing to promote that action. And I will tell you, Breaking Points did not promote it. Uh, Kyle Kalinske promoted it on Secular Talk at the last minute and didn't even give the correct information about the event. All he had to do, if he's on Twitter all the time, all he had to do was go to the Medicare for All March Twitter page and he could have contacted them and gotten one of the organizers to come on to give the details about the event. He couldn't even do that. It's just laziness at this point, right? So right. if he knew about it, then Crystal knew about it. So why didn't Crystal mention it on breaking points? Why don't you ever hear them mention these direct action events that are happening? We have a women's march that's happening in D.C. October 8th. We have the Julian Assange rally that's happening in D.C. October 8th. Why don't you ever hear them mention these things? Majority Report don't mention it. TYT don't mention it. So it's not on us. It's on them. That's the problem. Right. Right. Because I mean... I mean 
because I, I I remember that spat from the uh, show too, and I mean, and then it's just like we can even sit down and like even take things like when Bree was talking with Jank and he was just like, oh, I'm not talking to Jimmy Dore, I'm not talking to Glenn Greenwald, and it's just like I I don't I'm not trying to be pessimistic around here, like I'm I'm so serious, but it's this this is why it's kind of hard for like people to like to like go to the left, and it's just like why people go to for people to come to the left because. I can talk to somebody like my uncle about this shit, and he just looked like there's a whole bunch of just like dysfunction that I have to like debunk and address. But then he say, "Well, I've seen this certain personality, and there, you know, this animated guy, and he just..." And I'm just like, "Okay, but wait, he, but okay, wait, he, he doesn't, he's not speaking, he's not speaking on those right, he's not speaking on like maybe right terms and whatever, and." My thing with it is my my thing with it is this, and it's like I can I can keep pointing him out to new I can keep pointing him out to new personalities, but he's gonna eventually feel like okay, how many so it's like how many new faces are you gonna like bring up to me that for me to trust because you know he's just gonna be like okay, you was listening to Jing last time, but now you're not listening to him no more. You was listening to uh Cal or. Pod Save Americas and all this other stuff, and it's just like all of these, all of these guys don't really sound like they're speaking to our issues. And then now that I put and I've been putting them on RBM, I've been putting them on to you guys for about, um, I want to say four months, like four months now, because I kind of got to be feeling like, okay, I just got to find something to like ease him in, you know? And hmm, I. I totally agree with you on I totally agree with you on that. Like if these guys don't wanna talk and if these guys don't wanna come over and talk and debate their issues and debate their stance, if they can't stand on business for their belief, then yeah, you look at them sus you look at them suspect. That's why you do that's why you do move on. But um and looking into us like the like in the allyship of people who are willing to have those sit downs, you know, obviously maybe somebody besides Bree because I'm not sure if I'm not sure. If, I'm not sure where Bree would really kind of stand on, and just kind of like, and kind of like where the movement is kind of heading right now, because it's kind of like we're all kind of we're all we're all was riding on in this Bernie wave, and it was supposed to be like, yeah, we got like all the, we got all these progressives and everything, and it's kind of like, yeah, we got like dropped off, like not even halfway towards like our destination to where we're supposed to be, so. I'm not sure. Maybe RBN is maybe maybe the movement is still in the baby. Maybe the movement is still in the baby stage. We gotta create those new voices and create those new allies. If you feel like there's no getting, there's no getting through a David Sorota, there's no getting through a Jane, there's no getting through, you know, no anybody if they don't even want to sit down and talk. So are we just gonna be personalities? So are we just gonna be just news personalities and just talk pretty about how people are suffering or, you know, like. Where do you see like RB? What do you see like RB? What do you see like RB in space and that? It's like, here's the thing: the invite is never closed. Like Davis Rhodes is still welcome to come on. He just he just doesn't want to. Uh, his response was to block us on Twitter. Now he blocked RBN the entire network on Twitter. He he didn't block me for whatever reason, so I don't know what that's about. But like he didn't block my personal account. But he did block the RBN account. Um, I think he also blocked CJ. And I think he may have blocked Nick too. 
Um, so I, I don't know what, you know, that's all about. Um, but I've heard a lot of excuses. I've heard the excuses of, well, there's certain people in the space that only want to talk to people that have, uh, certain credentials. Okay. Um, I have a master's degree. I was an academic advisor next. You see what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't really apply. Like you only want oh, do to they try to, to be little, do they try to be little gun? Cause I mean, you guys are known to me. I've, I've been listening to you. I've been listening to you guys for a while about, um, close to a year. I've, I've been listening to you guys about close to a year, maybe about nine months, I would say. So would it be like a thing? Do you guys, would it be like a thing where they'll probably say, well, they're trying to make a name off of us and we wouldn't want to go, we wouldn't want to go that route with them. Like but when the, those things thing come is, up. I think the thing is, is like, we're not trying to make a name off of anybody though. I, th- I think that's, that's right. I'm not thing. accusing you of that, but I'm saying yeah. like, do they give those impressions? Like, as to why we are, we're not going to talk to, we're not going to talk to them. They don't want to talk to a certain type of black person. I'm just going to be honest with you, Red. I'm going to keep it real. Like they're willing to have on, when it comes to black people in particular, they're only willing to have on a certain type of black person. They're willing to have on a black person that they feel must have a lot of credentials. And even if you have that, because I have those credentials, even if you have that, you have to be basically saying the same message that they're saying about practicing this inside strategy. If you are criticizing progressive politicians, which we do, and I I told you no politician should be held from or omitted from criticism. If you're doing that, they're not going to bring you on. So even when they give the excuse of we want to have people on who are experts in the field, that doesn't uphold because I've seen them bring on white guys that don't have any credentials and that are not experts in the field. They bring them on because they're trying to, they're basically giving their audience the same message that those people are giving, which is we got to vote for the progressives in the democratic party. As long as you're on board with that and you're white, you don't need any credentials. If you're black, that's when you need to have the credentials and you have to deliver that same message. That's why you don't see that many black people in this space. And the ones that you do see are incredibly ignored. And one person that I've mentioned that I, I think is, is seriously underrated, and that is Kim Brown. And Kim Brown, I've had her on multiple times. She's been on RBN. Uh, a lot of people may not know this because she doesn't brag about herself like this. But Kim Brown used to work with Aaron Mate. You know, like, why haven't they had this woman on? Why haven't they had on? You know why? Because she's telling people that the same thing that we're saying, that this is all shit. This is all bullshit. That's why they won't bring her on. Why haven't they had on Danny Haifong? Why haven't they had on Margaret Kimberly? All of them from Black Agenda Report. Why haven't they brought those people on? Why haven't they brought on people from Black Power Media? Why? Because they're saying the same message. And by the way, we want to talk about black power media. A lot of them have degrees too. They ain't bring them on because they're saying the same thing that we're saying, that you need to leave this party, that Joe Biden is not helping out black people, that the Democratic Party has sold the black community out. That's why they won't bring them on. Yeah, that's and forget the... about and, and forget about, in reference to black women, forget it. How many black women you got in this space? Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I mean, that's kind of crazy. What 
our voice just being with like our voice being so small, we're already like a minority and we're kind of already like a minority in this uh, country. And then it's like to be a now to be a minority, like in this particular situation for a party for advancing for like advancing for actual people that need it. You know, I always go back to something that Malcolm X said. It's just like you want to solve the majority of America's problems, solve the problems for black people. Well, it's like they say they're fighting for these issues for the working class, but they don't even want to talk to working class issue, working class people. The only one out there really going out there that's a part of that group talking to working class people is Jordan Sheridan. Other than that, it's like you don't see them bring these people. The only time they bring them on is like, oh, they're trying to start a union. Let's bring them on. Other than that, why don't you bring on working class people to talk about the housing situation in their communities in this country? Why don't you bring on working class people to talk about the poverty wages that they're dealing with? What it's like to live in the projects? What it's like to be poor? Why don't you bring on disabled people to talk about what it's like to be disabled in this country and what it's like to make $200, $300 a month and not be able to live off of it? Why don't you bring those people on? You see the difference? This is right. Because I think I remember these... something about, I think I remember something, um, Jordan from Stats Coop, he used to uh, be a TOT and he would say, because he used to say, and, and I get it, it's all just about the, everybody, a lot of people really do kind of treat politics like this in the moment thing. And it's just kind of like, well, hey, this is going on. Why don't we, why, this is going on. Why don't we talk about this? And I think he said it was be, he'll, he'll go to Jenkins, he'll be like, it's all about this. And he'll be like, well, no, we can't talk about that because that wouldn't get us any views or that can, that can mess up with this or that can mess up with, or that can mess up with that or, oh, well, we can't talk about that because we don't know all the facts. Or, oh, we don't want to talk about that because we don't want to, we don't want to anger this person that we want to create, that we want to uh, forever have gang access to, you know? So, I mean, I can get like the politics between like, oh, I, maybe certain people don't want to talk about issues and that's always a red flag. But now it's it's even more suspicious because now you see we've had on some of the same guests that they've had on and we're still kind of new i mean we've only been at this for a little over a year now so like i mean for me like speaking for myself i've had on chris hedges cornell west like i've had on kim some of the same people that they've had on so it's like it it doesn't make explain this to me now you mean to tell me that like jesse ventura came on my show like Cornell West, came, I disagreed with Cornell West a couple of times during that interview. Cornell West came on, like so. Those and that was a dope interview too. I I remember that. Oh, thank you. Those people are willing to come on, even if there's a disagreement. But they won't talk to us because there's a disagreement. Tell me how that makes sense. I, I mean, you're. I mean, you're right. I mean, that's why. I I mean, you're right. And I mean, it's the same way because. And I'll, I'll even use Cornell West as an example because I, I, I do adore him. I've been following him for so long. But some of the things, one of the things that I kind of don't like, and I'm not trying to shit on people that like have religions or whatever. But I, what I kind of don't like is like the real, is the real preachy, it's like the real preachy types of spokes, like the real preachy type of spokespeople out there that try to sound like, you know, they're preachers from church. Because you know, I feel like it. Because I feel like. It it changes it it changes the tone to a message to where it feels like 
you're trying to sell me something. It does that. And I don't ever feel like, and I don't feel like Cornel West, and I don't feel like Cornel West is always trying to sell something. I do believe he believes in what he stands for. And to agree to agree and to disagree to disagree on policies or subject matter. But I do feel like when you present that to other people that are kind of weary about like, you know, the, the person, the personality traits and whatever, they're going to feel like, I don't trust this person. You, you're making, you're, you're kind of making it too animated of something too serious. And then especially if it's something that's hidden close and personal and home to them. I can see that too. And, and, but I'll also point out, like, we talked about the women's March tonight. That's going to be happening October 8th in DC. And we also talked about the Julian Assange rally that a lot of us are going, like the people speaking at the Julian Assange rally. I honestly was like, Miss, are you sure you want me to speak at this? Like she asked me to speak at it. And I was like, sure. Then when I found out who the speakers were, I was like, are you sure you want me to speak at this? (laughs) I was like, are you sure about this? Like, Chris Hedges is going to be there. Like freaking Jill Stein is going to be speaking there. Like why haven't any of those people, why don't they mention these things? Why is it that whenever like it comes to like these direct action events or these rallies, you know, who mainly mentions it, the smaller channels. Why don't they mention this? I don't know. I don't know. About that life. I don't think they buy their life red. I don't think they're about like direct action and the mutual aid. I think their focus is solely electoral politics. And that's concerning because if, in order to have politicians, like in order to pressure them, you have to have the push on the outside. If you don't have the push on the outside, it does not happen. And I want to uh, bring this point in reference to student loan uh, cancellation, that 10K to 20K that Joe Biden did, which actually has changed uh, as of today. We talked about that recent update. That push came from an outside activist group. The guy who leads that group came onto my show tonight and talked about that. He, They led that push, not the squad. It was them, the people on the outside. Yeah, I mean, trust me. I mean, the, the, that's why I'm weary of the whole personality. That's why I'm re- that's why I'm weary of the whole personality trait. Because I remember watching a, a segment on T. I remember watching a segment of TYT when they had Olamide Lauren on, where she was talking about mm-hmm. she was talking about ironically the law that's going on in our state right now in Illinois about. Um, I mean, you know the law, the whole. I can't remember the name of the law, my like off the top of my head, but it's basically the law where they're about to get in, like, do away and reform this whole bail system thing. Because I mean, I I got people that's in Cook County Jail right now. It is a literal shit show in there, like over, like over, like overcrowded, and it's just like so, like so much going wrong, and it's just like Jank was doing, like talking and using these quick talking points that you would kind of hear like on mainstream media. And it's just kind of like, okay, wait, I've never even heard you talk like that. And it's just like, do you not even, are you even listening to like some of the conditions that some of these prisoners are living in? And I kind of remember, and I kind of remembered even when uh, Bernie first announced that he was running in 2020, that was kind of one of the first things they got on him. 
that was one of the guys the first thing they got on him about was like, oh, he's for allowing prisoners to vote. And it's just like, okay, so what's the problem with that? They're, they're human beings too. They, they have rights too. They're, they're American citizens too. They should have a voice to say, they should have a voice to say so on how the country is going too. And it's just like, if you have those actual voices of people that are actually struggling, then it fuck. The only reason you're having it, the only reason I see you have an issue with it is because it's going to show and fuck up your agenda for how you want to lead and direct this country. You don't really want to do it on our end. You kind of just want to pacify us and tell us how we should be led. And that's kind of not how democracy works. That's right. That's right. And um, then when Olamia Lauren, and when, on, okay, my last one, like when Olamia Lauren was kind of, um, pointed out saying he was on cop he was talking propaganda he just kind of brought it back to like you said just like everybody won't focus on electorals he's just like well i just don't want to talk about this right now because the midterms the elections coming up and this this could just be bad for democrats if we put this light on us and mm-hmm. now you see now you see you see what i'm saying that's what it's all about that's what it's all about and, and that's unfortunate but i did see that um exchange between Alami and Jink. Um, I did cover that. I think Alami was spot on. Like this is her field. She knows exactly what she's talking about. She when it comes to policing, like she has that shit on lock. Okay. Um, and I think it was it was kind of disrespectful of Jink to try to tell her about her job. You know, how dare you come in and say, well, this is how it, it actually works. And she had to correct him and say, well, I work in the field. So I do know, you know, Again, this is kind of like, you know, he was so disrespectful towards her. And I didn't like it. Very you much know? so. Um, Roger, is, Roger is a speaker. Roger, chime in whenever you're ready. I'm sorry. Sorry, Roger. I, oh. Sorry, Roger. I, oh, that, that's how that works. My bad. <laughs> What's up? How's everybody doing? Hello. Hold you guys up because it's like... Can, is anybody here? Oh, oh, yeah. But I'll end off on this because I'll end off on this. I'll end off on this because I'll end off on this. As far as like for um for how because like, I'm, um, I'm pushing for RBN uh, just I'm, like I'm pushing for RBN. Roger, you're gonna have I've to been sharing the I've been sharing the bad face of I've been sharing I've been sharing the bad face of when I got a mute. Hold on. When I got a mute. Hold on. Oh, not you, Red. Um, Roger, you have to. Oh, not you, Red. Um, Roger, you have to. Because you have an echo. There we go. Okay, go ahead, Red. Okay, I'm back on. I was going to say, I've been sharing the episode nonstop. I'm probably going to be like sharing the episode a thousand times. And I share a lot of you guys' stuff amongst my peers and amongst my family members. And I'll end off for anybody that's probably new and probably just not getting put on RBN through whatever avenue you found them on. You know, Agree, disagree, but we must defend their we must defend their rights for them to at least say what they have to say because for black to have black voices to speak on the truth for these issues that matter to actual to, that matter to actual people like us out here is is very important. It is one and it is the one undeniable force that I feel like even the most corrupt regime of any of any politician. Or even this kind of like authoritarian, du- duopoly, whatever bullshit they want to call this democracy <laughs> that they want to say it's the one it's the one voice that they cannot um, deny. So 
we have to we agree agree with our agree with RBN disagree with RBN at least sit down and listen to all the facts we can have our opinions you know take your person take your personalities and your feelings out of it just take what you can from it let's all try to like listen to each other and learn from each other even during this time of like maybe this little divide through the left or whatever it's like at some point we all got to understand that we all need each other through we all need each other if we're going to have any type of chance to get through this fight to get some real democracy and fight back to this country and bring the power back into the people not to these greedy corporations who's probably just who at this point is kind of playing with our politicians like oh okay well it's right versus left or and it's going to be race so we're going to make it black versus white and now like after the whole civil rights thing i kind of feel like it moved on to a social economic thing we're going to make it rich versus poor it's like we gotta we gotta stop the game so sabs i, I love you I love RB. I love RBN. I really love what you guys are doing over there. Keep up that fight. And I mean, I don't know. Um, I know I'm already on. I'm already. I'm already a Patreon. But if there's any other ways that like I or other people that can help and support you guys in any way, please let us know. Please let me know. Let me know. I think the biggest thing right now, Red, is um, the fundraiser for J for JB for housing. Um, I'm going to check the thing really quick. We're really close to our goal. The CJ gives us updates. I'm just going to check. Um, for JB's fundraiser, we're at $4,016. The goal was $5,000. And are you, I don't know, do you have Cash App or PayPal? Uh, Cash App. I don't want PayPal and shit. <laughs> okay. Uh, Damn it, CJ, what's the uh, Cash App thing? I see the one for PayPal. Cash App is balls. Red, are you on Twitter? Yeah. Um, uh, what's your Twitter thing? Chicago Red 45. Red spelled with two D, like on here. Red forty-five. Okay. All right. I have followed you back. So I'm gonna have to find out the Cash App thing for JB because I see the one for PayPal, but I don't see the Cash App. I'll find out the Cash App thing from JB for JB um, from CJ tomorrow, and I'll just DM it to you. All right, for sure. Shit, yeah, that's it. the biggest thing is like we just want to make sure JB's gonna be all right with housing. But thank you so much for calling in, Red. And I'm gonna bring in Shelly because Shelly, I know you've been waiting for a while. And uh, Roger, feel free to chime in here and there. But you you have an echo. I think you might be on Bluetooth. But Shelly, go ahead. Uh, hey, Savvy, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing really good. I really liked your episode uh, with Brie on Bad Faith. I thought... Oh, thank you so much. I thought you guys all did, like, a really good job. I, I think I was just really kind of disappointed with, I don't know, at least how much time was spent in the episode on the topic of David Sirota. And then I wasn't able to tune in to Brie's entire call-in show, but by the time I got there... 
people were just up in arms about the comments over David Sirota. And then if I look at the Patreon comments, half of the people are just like, my God, what inhumanity to criticize David Sirota. And I don't, I don't understand. I'm sorry, my cat's meowing. Well, I think that just proves CJ's point. Mm -hmm. This idea that David Sirota can't be criticized. Right. That, that just proves CJ's point. And listen, we don't, we have to get rid of like having these godlike figures where people can't be criticized. And this, this is like a constant complaint of mine. Like, and I said this in the comments of Freeze Colin. I said, you guys need to stop hero seeking. Mm hmm. I mean, and, and that includes saying like RBN are the best. They can't ever be wrong. You know, like, that's not the mentality that you have to have. You don't have to cast people out. And I think that that's what people don't understand is whenever you have criticisms of David Sirota, it doesn't mean string him up or guillotine him. It just means we recognize the function that he serves and we are appreciative of that function. But the mass movement below him has evolved past his level of analysis. I agree, Shelly. I think this shows the difference of opinion of audience, right? Um, I, I wasn't able to join to listen to the call in because I was live at the same time, but I wasn't sure if like CJ or Nick were able to join that call. Do you know? No, I, I didn't see them for the period of time that I was on it. But I will have to say, it's also interesting if you look at the difference, which I kind of, I was peripherally tracking during the day. If I look at the difference between the comments on Bree's Patreon versus the comments on the abbreviated YouTube clip, the people on YouTube, because it's a free application, there were a lot more people that were saying, fuck yeah, RBN's got it. Like, you know, they were basically saying like, holy shit, this destroyed. Like they did such a good job. And if you look at the Patreon, which is a paid subscription, so you have to have the means to be able to pay for the subscription, it's 50-50. So that's a class divide right there. Right. right. I mean, that I mean, doesn't... doesn't that really, that doesn't, really surprise doesn't surprise me. me. Right. Um, I think that, I think that, you know, if you kind of look at it this way, I think that, I mean, we have Patreon too on RBN and yeah. on, and I have Patreon for my channel too. Um, it's a different crowd. And, mm -hmm. and I, I have noticed like it's a different crowd. And I, I say that because like, for example, I have noticed that the audience is different. Mm -hmm. um, and I've noticed that from the comments. And I've noticed the same thing in reference to breaking points. The, the audience is different. Mm -hmm. So what I've gathered is that it does seem like the bad faith crowd and the breaking points crowd is more PMC. RBN is not. 
We, most of our audience members are of that working class or poor, which is what the Bernie Sanders campaign was about, the people that were supposed to be represented. What has happened, though, is that the people with the larger platforms are not from that. Mm -hmm. So the audience that they attract are the PMCs. Does that make sense? No, it, it absolutely makes sense, which this was one of the issues that I have with that conversation. And I, I kind of alluded to it before, like this obsession over David Sirota. Like what I, whenever I was listening to all three of you in the Bad Faith episode, CJ was saying David Sirota as a placeholder. He was identifying a personality that was similar to David Sirota and that it can be identified across many people in what you would say is the PMC left. And so whenever Brie was kind of sitting there and saying, hey, let's narrow this down, let's narrow it down, like what are the specific accusations? That's one of the reasons why whenever Brie comes in with her correction on the podcast and says, actually, Marianne never said that, which was... I've never heard anyone break up a podcast to correct a neoliberal, but they will correct communists. Um, anyway, so actually, Mickey never, never, never said what? what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What? Uh, Marianne never said what? I'm sorry. Uh, so Nick was talking about she like her Zionist mentality and the fact that she said he was trying to paraphrase like Palestine shouldn't defend itself. And so then in her podcast edit and her video edit, she has a breakaway where she said, I've contacted Marianne. She claims she's never said that. And then I looked on Twitter and found old tweets and nothing ever actually references that. And in fact, she says, she says something that's the total opposite of what Nick claimed. Well, and in that, in that take, like, I mean, I didn't speak on that, but I will say in that take, I think that Marianne should have that conversation with RBN. I think so too. And I, that's, that's one of the issues, but if those people don't want to talk to you and you have to mediate terms through Brie, this is what we're left with because people aren't going to actually engage them, engage with each other because they're too cowardly to face what any type of criticism. This just does not seem like a healthy leftist movement. Well, I, I agree. But Marianne has been on my show multiple times. Yeah. Um, in fact, a lot of people don't know this, especially those of you that found me this year. Marianne Williamson was one of the first people that came on my podcast. Like this was like, I think she was like the third guest. Um, I have to go back and look, but if, if I remember correctly, I think Marianne Williamson was the third person who came on my podcast, not the third, the fourth. I was very new and I wanted to talk to her about reparations because that was her number one platform. And she came on and she came on again um, for the women's summit that I did. She came on the, the women's healthcare panel and she didn't agree with all the things that were said on the panel. Like everybody didn't agree with each other per se. But that's not the point. Like, that's the thing. Like, I don't try to do these these panels or these interviews where we always agree. I, I think that's kind of boring. Um, but I, I don't think Marianne would be like, no, I'm not going to come on to RBN. 
Um, I do think that, you know, if, if, if maybe if I, if I reached out, um, and tried to get her on RBN, you know, maybe that could work. Uh, but I, I have, I, I will say, I haven't seen her be one to shy away from conversation. I will say that, like I said, she came on, this was back when I think I may have had 2000 subs. That's well, it. Sabi, I don't, I, I think this is the, I, I totally understand what you're saying. I think what I'm arguing against is the fact that you and CJ and Nick can go on bad faith. And you guys can have a conversation about electoralism. And then we have to spend 40 minutes of the hour and 15 minute conversation that you guys have about certain individual personalities like David Sirota or Marianne Williamson. And that's the thing that is irritating. Like those individuals are not necessarily important. And then it's like, I can tune in midway to Brianna's the debrief and people are just raging over David Sirota. Well, like, that I was also- even, well, what's, I, I, I think the, the thing is that people don't understand that was not the bulk of the conversation. That actual interview was over 90 minutes. And I know this because I remember I had to be gone by a certain time. So the interview was actually over 90 minutes. What you guys saw on what people who are not patrons, what people saw on YouTube, that's just actually a small portion of the interview. We talked about a number of things. Um, Sabi, I, I know because I do have that, but what I'm saying is that the majority of people that are attempting to engage with this stuff can't pay. And so they end up only getting that brief thing. And so what is it they focus on? That's what they focus on. They focus on the personality of David Sirota or Marianne Williamson. And this drives the entire conversation and we can't actually get anything done. Yeah. And, 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 and I understand that too. Like I thought originally, I have to go back and check the message, but originally, you know, there was a, a miscommunication. Because last week, I don't know if people caught this or not, but last week when we posted an RBN video, it was RBN goes on bad faith and rising. And when CJ came on, he had to correct it because that video was supposed to drop that day. And it was, if it would have dropped that day, it would have been the free video. So people would have seen the entire discussion. But then we found out later on that that video wasn't going to drop till the next Thursday, which meant that's how it became paywalled. So yeah, but I, I totally hear you. I, I get it. Like, I mean, look, like me personally, like, I don't think I even talked much about David Sirota. Um, my purpose was basically to drive back to strategy and what we should be focused on, which is general strike. We should be focused on like, third party independent. We should be focused on electoral politics on the local level. Mm-hmm. We need to focus no. more on the local level. So that was my focus. Yes. I, honestly, I would have to say that I feel like all three of you were trying, like, I remember CJ in the very beginning, whenever he was trying to talk about the tendencies, he wasn't trying to name names. He didn't say anyone. 
for quite a little bit. And then it was just like, well, name a name, name a name, name a name. Right. No one's going to understand it unless you call someone out. And then right. when you call someone out, it goes, wait, 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 wait. You got to have to defend your position because I'm going to defend it. Like, it, it. It's constantly going around in circles. Whenever people are trying to be diplomatic and not name names, they are pressed to name names. And then once they name the name, then let's excoriate that person and say, you haven't taken into account this work. You haven't taken into account what they've done here. You haven't looked at how long they've been working. You haven't, it, it, it's a distraction. No, I agree. I, I totally agree with you. Um, I, again, like, look, I, I don't want to like, hash too much on the interview per se, but I will say this is the reason why I do things live. This is, this is the reason why, like, I don't, first of all, I don't have time to edit shit. <laughs> like Eric, uh, Eric's my producer. He's in the chat somewhere. He'll tell you like, I don't have time to edit shit. Hey Eric. Eric was, Eric was the one who convinced me to do clips. I didn't even want to do clips. I was like, I don't have time to do this shit. I, I just I don't. I do um, like the clips for like me driving into work when I just have to find like something to get me through the drive. So, <laughs> but this is why, like when I do interviews, the interviews are live. The, the only one that I didn't do live was Rokana. And that was because they requested that it had to be recorded. But even with that, there was you no editing. To him. <laughs> yeah, there was no editing. I just didn't have time. Um, so I was just like, whatever said is said shit. And, and so, but, th but this is why, like, I, I will say that when you interview people and you do it live, there is a difference from when you interview people and it's recorded. I did notice, like, some people did reach out to me and say, why was CJ muted at certain parts? Again, like, I don't know. I I'm not the editor. There was, I mean? like, there was a weird echo that I heard. Um, and so I think if anything, I really don't think it was in bad faith. I think it was just her trying to cut down on the echo. I mean, but it did, it did seem like a blunting of CJ's very fiery points. Yeah. Cause there were definitely parts that were said that were cut out like that. I, I do know, like just from being there. Um, but my intention, like going into the, this interview at any particular interview, um, unless the interview is exactly about a person. So when I went on rising, the interview was exactly about AOC and only AOC. Mm -hmm. So that's what I, I honed in on. But typically when I do interviews with people, I try to bring it back to the system and the policy and, and the problems that we have with the system. So that's why even when I went on rising and I talked about AOC, I mentioned to point out anyone in Congress who has been there that has tried to push back against it, they've been pushed out. That is important, I think, to mention. I try not to focus so much on the personalities, but the system in place and the class issue. And I think that's really important. But you're right. I, I think you have a point when you mention when it's narrowed down to certain people, then it becomes about those people and not so much about the the, the systemic problem that we have with the, with the system, the political system in this country in place and the policies at hand. And, and I do agree with you on that. Yeah. And, and I think just maybe my last comment and then I'll leave you alone is I would just have to say, I, I think that as leftists, there's some amount of language that we used in closed quarters. 
you know, where we're all discoursing with each other and, you know, we, we know sort of some of the terminology around means of production or, you know, we can say sort of those terms and those, those terms don't make sense to the forward facing public. Um, and it can get people a little bit somewhat lost or be confusing. And then the right will twist it into some like insane, crazy theory that involves like Satanism or something. So like we have to come up with the, the inward language and the outward language. And I don't think that we're very good at the outward language. Do, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I totally understand. I do agree. Like you do have to explain things to people. Like I've had to do this multiple times. Um, just telling people like, I think it's important for people who are leftists to understand again, and I've said this multiple times on my show, we are not huge. I think sometimes we thought we were bigger than we were because of Bernie campaign, but we're not, we're a small portion of the population. The majority of people are not watching independent media. The majority of people don't even know what we're talking about when we use certain terms or we use certain- The majority of people don't watch the news at all. Exactly, like we really have to break things down for people. And that's the thing I've been saying, like that, that is the thing with where I felt like we came in as RBN is like, listen, most people I know that are working class or that are poor, they don't give a fuck about politics. Mm -hmm. They're not thinking about Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. They're not thinking about like a Bernie Sanders. They don't even know who half of the, they don't even know what a squad is. Right. Most people are not who they're not paying attention to any of that stuff. And so I think that sometimes like we may have thought that we were bigger than we were and we're really not that big. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I totally agree. And this is a great time for everyone to just sort of evaluate our strategy and our tactics. And I think that that's the process that we're going through right now. And so it's not surprising to me to see the comments after your appearance on Bree's show and then read some of the pushback because essentially it's just a class struggle within the class. You know, we are trying to figure out the correct way to go forward and that's the reason why we're fighting together. One of us is gonna win and that's gonna be what it is that the strategy that we try and then that's either gonna be proven successful or unsuccessful and then we'll change tactics from there. And I don't really see that as being a reason for everyone to point fingers, call names, and be hostile and hateful. Well, I don't remember us like calling people names. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not accusing you of that. I, mostly, it's the comments about the episode that I'm saying it was hateful. Yeah. Again, I just think that uh, uh, this is why, and I've said this before. This movement cannot be led. It needs to be led by working class people. Yeah. And I've said that time and time again. Like. <clears throat> Part of the problem is this whole strategy was led by people like Kyle Kalinske and Dream Huger, and it was led by a certain class. Like, I'm sorry, but it was not it, led by working class people. It was led by a divisive and hateful class. And that's the reason why the movement is hateful and divisive. Sorry. Mm. That's what the class is. They're reactionary and they want to divide and they want to condescend to people and they want to tell everyone in the third world. They want to tell the deplorables in the United States. They want to tell everyone that they're unworthy 
and that they should be cast out. So yeah, it's a hateful position. And that's the reason why it doesn't get any credibility with the working class. Yeah. And I get that too. And a lot of times it's led by academic elite who are not a part of that struggle. And that's another thing that I've, I've voiced as well. It's like, we really need, it needs to be led by people who are part of that struggle and have to deal with these things. Um, but thank I you totally so much agree. for calling in, Shelly. Yes, let me, uh, let me Roger, get off here. I'm so sorry. I totally monopolized time. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. Oh, no worries. Uh, Roger, you're a speaker, so feel free to chime in. I'll have to mute myself when you talk because I think there's an echo, but go ahead. <clears throat> Roger? Okay, I don't know where Roger is. I'm going to bring in Sam. You're the next caller. Oh, my God. That was the... <laughs> no... <clears throat> I love it. Shelly was really interesting listening to it. I loved it. But I, you know what? This whole um, call and app waiting in line, it can feel like waiting in line, like for a roller coaster or something at Disneyland or Six Flags. It's just like, oh my God, I'm in a line. I'm in a queue. Forever. If something happens, I'm, I'm going to end up falling off. And oh, how are you doing, Zabby? I'm doing great. How are you? You're fine. Nice talking with you again. Oh, by the way, guys, Sam will be the last caller. So, but go ahead, Sam. Yeah, I loved um, the fact that you are, you know, collabing with these other these other people that I've been listening to for years now, and I've always wanted this. This is freaking amazing. So I'm happy you're, you had um, combo three because we're on bad faith. I'm happy that you guys are spreading out and actually like going on other people's podcasts. And you guys are really hitting it now. And people are spreading the message. I'm glad that. There we go. Oh, hey, Roger. I'm I'm glad that Jackson Hinkle was also on your podcast. I hope Rome Rome takes time to go on other people's podcasts as well. He has a more radical. He has a radical way of speaking that I hope people can get accustomed to. Um, I I was on Bree's I was on Bree's uh, calling earlier. She kind of blew up on me. I mentioned David Sirota. I think she's heard it too much now at this point, and um, she blew up. I mentioned that I'm saying David Sirota as a placeholder for PMC because it it already came up, and his face just is the perfect face for the PMC in general. And I'm tired of the professional managerial class just constantly pushing for the voting of Democrats in office that don't do jack shit. Justice Democrats, AOC, don't do anything at all. If they're not willing to to be like the Tea Party movement and actually withhold their votes, like take the face, the mask off of Pelosi, Biden, and the rest of the Democratic Party and show that they're not going to do jack shit for structural change, then they're useless. And actually, they're just making things worse. They're wasting our time. And what do you think? I I agree. I, I hear you, Sam. Um, what was blown up about? I'm I'm a little bit confused. I well, I brought up David Soros and uh, like the name Soros and um, Williamson. And I think because she's already talked about. Uh, the day 
that she just triggered and she said I'm not bending them. Um, oh, oh, I'm sorry, Sam. I can I can barely hear you. You're breaking up a little bit. I think I'm bouncing between Rogers. I think Rogers un is unmuted, and that's what the issue is. Hello, okay, Roger. You're, you're you mind muting yourself? Sorry. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah. Just bring it up. She got triggered. She she said, "I'm not defending these people. I don't want to talk about these people." Basically, um, I, I'm not here to have to defend them. I never said you have to defend them. You know, I'm 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 bringing up the names because they were part of today's conversation, and I'm using them as a placeholder at this point for the PMC class, right? And my problem with them is that they're propagating the system and they're allowing for the Justice Democrats to like not have to take a firm stance, no on votes. And it's, the, I mean, that, that's what I'm trying to say here. And she's, she blew up that she feels like she has to defend these two individuals. First of all, like I said, I'm not attacking them. And if I were to attack them, look, these people are war, are, are allowing for the warmongering to continue. How is that so? When you when you make statements that the neo-libs and neocons can use to continue their international imperialist bombing and murder, then you're propagating that system as well. And like when you support Israel, when you are or say, oh well, let me let me add these qualifying statements about Vladimir Putin. Well, then you're you're giving the go ahead, okay? Because if you're not saying no war, just like, oh well, aren't you against the invasion? I don't give a I don't give a shit, okay? That's what I'm gonna say because I'm not gonna give you the bullets necessary for you to continue that effort. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna qualify it because you're just gonna end up utilizing my support or or my frustration with Russia invading Ukraine as reason to continue that effort. No, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna load your gun. So don't I don't want you I don't want you to war. I know I don't have an opinion on it. Don't go to war. Marion Williamson is like as you know both of them, okay, all of them. They're all they're all anti-Russia in, in, in this in regards to this war. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, 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 I told you. Uh, Roger, uh, Roger, go ahead. Yeah, um, uh, I just wanted to, um, I know Ashura was asking before about um, can they shut down our banking services? And, you know, because he was wondering, you know, I think both of you are right, where you're saying that uh, he didn't think they could because we have rights. And um, I think there's nothing to stop them in real time. But according to the 14th Amendment, not to get too wonky, it's supposed to be a right of due process. So I can imagine them, I can imagine the government shutting us shutting banking services down you know when you were talking about hiding money in the woods and stuff like that but i could imagine after the whole court thing 
the you know the uh, Supreme Court saying no, you can't do that without due process. You can't just shut down. So, but there's nothing to stop that, Sabby, in real time. Um, hey, Roger. Hey, you, you remember up? the truckers? The truckers protest, right? Those, yeah, those yeah that's what I was talking about. Yeah, that's what I was referring yeah, exactly. to. Yeah, because when I mean, when something's happening, it's just. I mean, if if our bank account, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, whatever it is, where you get shut down. What, what recourse do we have other than calling customer support? Here's the reality. And we can go through a legal process, contact a lawyer, like maybe, I mean, who knows how long it would take. The lawyer won't even know what to do. They have to do research, figure it out. It's we're so, so freaking difficult. At the end, we'll get our money transferred to another bank. And they're not mm-hmm. going to pay any fees to us or anything. It's not going to happen. Like, we don't actually have... We have no rights in regards to any of that crap. They can do whatever they want to do. And at that point, it's a waiting game. Yeah, it's just words on it. Us... Yeah. yeah, it's just ink on paper at this point. Yeah, that's actually why I um, I advocate for having um, money outside of the system as a whole. You'll see my little lightning signal and my little glowing red eyes. Why? Not because of capitalism or this or that, because that set that glowing red eyes. Were you putting up a bat signal or something, bro? <laughs> so, like having having something that the government can't touch helps a lot when it comes to providing mutual aid to one another. So, I when I provide mutual aid to others, I make sure to send it in Bitcoin, and and whoever gets it, they have it. They can convert it to, to dollars. They can convert it to euros. They can convert it to whatever they want to. It's theirs to touch. It's theirs, and no PayPal, Cash App, or whatever is going to stop them from having it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. the only thing is that that didn't work. I mean, the the um the cryptocurrency didn't didn't um it crashed. It, I mean, it didn't it didn't uh, uh, um help the truckers. It didn't um I didn't see it because the government took took that over too and and you know i forgot the whole specifics of it but it didn't work the way it was expected to work is what i'm saying well so in you regards know, that, to in, drug, so whenever i've had um imagine a pro, imagine you're at a protest and you need to buy resources water and all of that your bank accounts get shut down like or your credit cards like and or these these accounts just stop working right hopefully you guys have cash if you, if not, go guess what? Right. You have Bitcoin wallets. You're able to use them. Send them to somebody that currently still has um, access to some way of converting it to dollars. You can send that to them. They can they can they can utilize it and buy water and resources for your for your group. That's just a small example. But for the truckers convoy, they did have um, a cryptocurrencies. I'm not an advocate of these models. I just use something that I can trust. But nice. some people were given Bitcoin. They were given Bitcoin on a special, a special method, with either um, a little, a little miniature device, or with a seed phrase. And those people that did get big, that did receive Bitcoin, they did get Bitcoin, and they were able to utilize it. And I'm sorry, like the thing is, is if you actually give someone Bitcoin in a Bitcoin wallet. It cannot be taken from them, regardless of what a government official says. You don't; they never took it unless you gave them the your pass, basically seed phrase or whatever. It's yours. 
it's in your memory or it's written down somewhere. Unless you give it to them, no one's taking it from you and no one can stop you from sending it or receiving to that wallet. They can't do it unless they beat you up and say, give it to me or we'll kill you. So. I don't know. That's that's a that's an area I'm not too familiar with or whatever. So I I, I mean, I trust you know what what you're talking yeah. about. So I mean, I'm not yeah. really gonna. Well, let's say let's say the Bitcoin. Let's say I send it to your phone, right? It's not on your phone. It's it's actually in the Bitcoin blockchain, right? And you have a mm-hmm. like a seed phrase, like twelve words. And if you don't tell anyone else those twelve words, no one else can access it. It's not on your phone. If you lose your phone, you didn't lose your Bitcoin. It's still in, in the blockchain. You just need your 12 words. You get another phone, and then you can put those 12 words into whatever your wallet is, and you have access to your Bitcoin again, that Bitcoin address. No, and I understand. Yeah. I understand okay. that. It's just, I just remember it just just crashing, like, last year or something like that. Yeah. Where I forgot the whole, I forgot the whole specifics of it, but... yeah. I just remember it wasn't working the way as expected, where it was going to do would, all this protection. And... I would say this. If you're thinking about Bitcoin as a get-rich-quick scheme, then you're probably thinking of it as a speculator of trying to make money. And if you I... think of it that way, sure, you can think of it that way you want. Like, I mean, when I bought it, it was a lot less than what it is now. And I still keep mm-hmm. it because I'm not a speculator. I use it as a tool. I use it as my money, like, and it's so it's my way to make sure that, as a political dissident, that if anything were to happen to me, my bank accounts can't shut down, they can't get seized, and my wife have has access to my Bitcoin, regardless of what happens to me. So, Hi. like, that's why I moved towards Bitcoin in the first place, and um, yeah, and that's kind of the that's why I I trust it. They just want to chime in really quick and say, um, I, I just realized the time. It is kind of late. Um, so, but Roger, I know you didn't really get to speak that much. So if, if there was something else you wanted to say, please go ahead. Yeah. So um, I don't know if you know this, but on uh, Breaking Points today, they they called you guys out without actually saying your name. I sent, I DM'd you it with the marker. I was just like, oh shoot, they calling, they took calling Seb and RBN out and all that stuff. It had to do with the Ukraine stuff and the Russia <laughs> stuff. And and I mean, it was just, they pretty much said you and Fiorella's, I mean, it's like, yeah, you might as well just say their name. Say my name, say my name. Um, But yeah, but, uh, so, you know, you, you'll check that out. Also, um, I'm just trying. I'm going to try to see if I could get in contact with Diane Sayer, who's running against uh, 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 Schumer as, as an independent. Man, I don't know why she don't got a phone number on her on her website. She got every. I was like, "Yo, you want my vote? At least you know, give me a chance. You know, to be able to get in contact with you. I want to try to put you on your show and Kit's show and you know whoever. You know, I, um, I only had." that interview that I saw when that I had sent you. I don't know if you saw it yet. Um, also, there's a, some, a socialist running to be as a writing candidate looking to be your governor. 
Um, I forgot the guy's name. I, I sent that to you also. You know, I don't know if you probably get in contact with them or whatever. Um, uh, 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 uh. Oh, yeah. Shirley said something I agreed with and I forgot what it was. But, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she was talking about um, stop hero chasing or stop putting people on pedestals and stuff. Yeah. You know, I was, if you remember, I was saying that like a few shows ago. And I was saying, look, we've had Bernie, we got disappointed. We had Justice Democrats, got disappointed. Now we're looking at, um, I don't know, we was looking at somebody recently and, and possibly getting hopes up about someone else. And I'm like, chill, chill, just just take it back a bit. Take it back a bit, you know, um, focus on the mission. You know, the mission is what's important. Um, just like you said, most people are not involved in politics. They don't, or, you know, they don't have the bandwidth for it. You start talking to them about politics. They telling you, oh, you should run. I was like, I ain't running for Jack. Only thing I'm, only thing I'm running for is the store. But, um, you know, if anything, you know, like I said, I want to try to get New York state to be a, a ballot initiative state eventually. Um, but yeah, you know, the, the person, the, the hero that you're looking for is in the mirror, you know, and, you know, just like Shelly said, we got to stop elevating these people to, that's right. Where, you know, and no, you know what, right. the yeah, guy yeah. who came on the other night, um, the, the gentleman who came on the other night, like he came from the activist movement and he was just like, I decided he decided to run for a state like local office so he could fix these problems himself. Well, you know, Oh, the Connecticut, the, the Connecticut uh, person, guy? the young guy. Yeah. In, in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. He said, he was just like, listen, like we can help some of this on again, like policing, like a lot of that is local. Right. So he was just like, he came from the, the George Floyd like movement and he was an activist and he was just like, you know what, nothing has changed. So why don't I run for like state office and try to get legislation changed myself on the local level? And, and that's really the way you, you need to go about doing it. Um, in reference to breaking points, I think it's funny, they won't say our name, but they have no problem mentioning white people's names. <laughs> Even white people that they, dis they disagree with, they don't agree with Jackson Hinkle, but they had no problem saying his name. You see what I'm saying? You guys don't see. You guys don't see the difference. Yeah. Good luck. Good you know, luck with with board everybody else with these progressive candidates and these progressive movements going forward. Good luck. You're attacking the wrong fucking people. You're attacking working class people. You really have like you really your mask is fucking off. Period. Yeah, I, I yeah. was just well, like, well, point is they've gone yeah, really hard. centrist at this point. I'm so sorry, Roger. I'm going to head out, guys. I, I love you, Roger. I'm following you now. Um, I, I can't wait to listen to more of, more of you, more of you being on uh, Savvy and, and your own work. So I'm probably following you. And um, I and Savvy, just want to quickly jump in and say, I, I'm really happy. I find this MAGA communism thing to be interesting, not because of the term, but because for myself, like you, I, I have I hang out both communists and libertarians, and I, I consider myself both because I ascribe to community values, but also 
require, I believe that freedoms and rights need to be guaranteed, which is something I disagree with TJ and Nick on about a bit, because I believe that they, once you let, let hold into that process, then the whole, the new Fox elites will screw over the lower middle class. See you guys, have a good night. Thanks so much, Sam. Thanks. I won't keep you long. Um, so yeah, that, I mean, that, that was, that was pretty much it. By the way, uh, I choose Alemi over Nick because she took on two, uh, two of them, and uh, you know, Nick Nick only took on one. <laughs> I just had to get that in there. Speaking of which, I saw Rob Rob Robbie interview Tom Hartman, him and Bree, and something he said. So he was talking about bringing jobs back, bringing American-made manufacturing jobs back. And, you know, he was talking about going back. I, f- I forgot the specifics of it. And, you know, I was, you know, you know, because I, I used to listen to Tom Hartman after uh, it'd be like Ed Schultz and, and on the radio on 1600 AM out here in New York. And then it would be Tom Hartman and then be Randy Rose. This was like, you know, back in the Obama days, or whatever. So, you know, I'm listening to him and he's talking about, you know, how to bring jobs back or whatever. And then Rob said, he said, okay, I'm ad-libbing here, but he he said something to the effect of, why do we need to bring manufacturing jobs back? I was like, what? <laughs> that was the most out-of-touch thing I've ever, well, I've heard a lot of out-of-touch things. That was the most out-of-touch thing I've, I've, I've ever heard since the last out-of-touch thing. Um, do you realize just how much you have to be out of touch with regular vocational, uh, just regular working class people to have something like that come out of your mouth? Like, why do we need... It's, it reminds me of this customer I had years ago when Ed Schultz was... You know, I was listening to Ed Schultz and he's like, who is this fucking guy? Oh, it's Ed Schultz. He's talking about bringing back manufacturing jobs. Oh, we don't need to do that. I said, well, he's talking about, you know, like we got better steel than, than China, whatever the case is. Oh, we could, we can, we can refine this steel. And, you know, he was talking some PMC crap or whatever. And I was just like, what type of individual are you? What, I mean, you guys talk of all about American patriotism, what you, what you don't like, uh, uh, American made stuff. <laughs> you like, you'd rather buy cheap stuff from, you know, another country and, and he was saying, um, so, you know, Robbie was making this point about, oh, but, you know, like, well, how are you going to do it? You're going to, you're going to uh, bring, you're going to bring it back. But then the only way they'll, how do you bring manufacturing back if you don't scale back on the regulations and scale back on uh, wages and all that different type of stuff? And, you know, I was screaming at the screen saying, work at co-ops, work at co-ops. But, um, you know, Tom Hartman said, you know, something else. So you know, whatever the case was, but, um, you know, it's, it it was just, I I just found it like disturbing that he would, you know, he would say something like that. You know what I mean? I mean, that just shows you just how much out of touch these people are because they work off his jobs. You know, they, they work white collar, you know, come in from the suburbs to work in the city and they really have no clue of how regular vocational trade, Home Depot type, construction worker, carpentry people live. 
And you know, like, look, you can say you can you can say what you want, but at the end of the day, if both of you are unemployed, the person with the trade is going to make that money on the side. You can't make money on the side with your white collar uh, uh, office worker ass. You, you see what I'm saying? Like, oh, I'm a, I'm gonna do some office work on the side for this person. Like, it don't work that way. But if That's someone's a good point. if someone's a plumbing bus, hey, call uh, such and such. She, you know, give him a couple of dollars. You know, he he's out of work right now, and before you know it, it's just like, oh, I could refer you to someone else. Um, you know, my electricity is bad. You know, I don't know what's going on with the wiring. Oh, I know a guy. Call that person over there. Oh. You know what I mean? Like you always, especially if you know how to repair cars, you know, but these people are so used to the, to the servant class, the servant class being what I do in terms of offering service, you know, driving people or the servant class being, you know, some person waiting on tables, you know what I'm saying? Or some person serving them, you know, and, 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 you know, and, and so I, I, I see the, the definite divide where like they don't want to deal with us, you know what I mean? Um, but you know, like I said, um, I'm a party abolitionist. I started using you guys' terms. You, you, you guys been using an abolition term a lot, so I'm a party abolitionist. We need to get rid of these damn parties. I don't want any parties, they do nothing but be a protection racket, they're too busy protecting themselves and not looking out for the public interest. We don't need them. Get rid of them. You know, so. Awesome. Thanks awesome. so much, Roger. Guys, I'm heading out. It's it's pretty late. Um, So have a good night. I'll be back tomorrow night. And adios. Adios.